This episode of the Live Life Aggressively show is sponsored by Health IQ. Health IQ is an insurance company that helps health conscious people such as runners, cyclists, strength trainers, plant-based athletes, and more secure lower rates on their life insurance. Health IQ uses science and data to help its customers living a healthy lifestyle secure lower rates on life insurance, as opposed to typical waist-to-hip ratio calculations used by conventional life insurance companies. Health IQ is not a life insurance broker or an insurer. Health IQ is a life insurance agency providing exclusive rates to health conscious applicants who qualify through their Health IQ quiz and other lifestyle quizzes. You can even get additional savings by submitting actual data such as race results, as well as your Strava, RunKeeper, or other fitness lifestyle app data. How can Health IQ pass along these savings? Well, Health IQ can save you up to 33% because physically active people have a 56% lower risk of heart disease, 20% lower risk of cancer, and 58% lower risk of diabetes compared to people who are inactive. Just like saving money on your car insurance for being a good driver, Health IQ saves you money on your life insurance for living a health-conscious lifestyle. To see if you qualify, get your free quote today at healthiq.com slash LLA or mention the promo code LLA when you talk to your Health IQ agent. Again, head over to healthiq.com slash LLA and get your free quote today. And don't forget to mention the promo code LLA when you speak with a Health IQ agent. Folks, welcome to another week. This is the Live Life Aggressive Show. Got here. That's me. Got Mike on the other side. It's another week, man. Um, always exciting to have our guest that we have on today come on the show. And I know our fans love them too. So it's gonna be a good yep. one. Man. And, they know, and they, know, they know who it is because on iTunes, where you click to hear this episode, his name is there. <laughs> so it's not a mystery guest. We should start doing. We should start exactly, not exactly. listing people's names on a mystery guest for the week. You have to. You have to actually listen exactly. to the episode to find out who. It is. <laughs> I'm gonna stop posting the pictures no, about it, you know, in the show notes. I'm just gonna put like a silhouette of their head and see if you can guess who it is. <laughs> so, make it more interesting. Well, that's, that's gonna change it up. Most cultures are bald anyway, so you know, if you just do a silhouette, well, everybody looks the same. Jody Franco, myself, John that's right. Everybody's the same. Stone Cold. That's what Dana White said. He says. says. <laughs> yeah. Dana White says all bald people look the same, and there's a picture of him with Joe Rogan. It was Joe Rogan and and Dana White and some other guy, some other MMA commentator, and they're all bald. And he's right; they all look they all look exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, cool, man. Anyhow, we'll go ahead and start. Anyhow, we, we we can we can right skip all it, the the housekeeping I'll, and just get yeah we can skip all the housekeeping, and get right into it, save that for the end of the show. Perfect. So hey, man, good to have you back. It's been about a year. And you're one of our most popular guests. I think I think you and yeah, I think you and Charles Poliquin are our most popular guests. Well, you have to be French Canadian to be popular. I mean, it's the accent. I think it's because of that photo of you guys lying on a recliner together with speedos on. I think that's that. I think so. People view you both in the same category. To to, to be honest, that that is the one picture we actually can show to people because we keep the real stuff for us. <laughs> All the photos of you guys after you guys have been on Fenu Greek for a couple of weeks. You know, you those <laughs> ones to yourself. <laughs> talking, talking about leaking photos, now, man. You know? Talking about emotions. 
we we could actually I'll I'll cover that real quick since I said uh, since people did ask me to go I get questions about different herbs that increase testosterone all the time and a lot of people who take my product they're always looking for ways to improve it which I get because I'm always looking for ways to improve it as well but it, it's easy to waste a lot of time and money because believe me I'm researching this stuff every day so whatever you ask me I'm going to know what you're talking about and I've probably tried it at some point. One guy asked me, he goes, what do you think about fenugreek? A lot of people say that increases free testosterone. And there is a new extract out there made by a company in India called Furosap that looks the most promising out of all of the different fenugreek iterations. There's testofen, there's others. A lot of them have not been shown in studies to increase testosterone, and many have had negative impact effects such as increasing prolactin and lowering DHT, which is detrimental to sex drive and sex function. Furosap in one study was shown to increase testosterone by 43 testosterone by 47%, but there was no control group and it was sponsored by the company itself. So that's generally you can set up a study in a way to get an outcome that you want just by changing certain parameters. I'm not saying they did that, but whenever a company sponsors a study, you have to wonder they're not going to sponsor a study without knowing what the outcome is going to be. That's for sure. And they're certainly not going to release it. But anyway, let's say theoretically this is a good option. We still don't know whether it's going to have those negative impacts, such as increasing prolactin, which is the last thing you want. A lot of guys are borderline high levels of prolactin already. And when it hits a tipping point, you'll actually have a white discharge, like a woman breastfeeding. So it's really scary stuff. And Makuna in my testosterone booster actually lowers prolactin levels. So the last thing I want to do is get is squash that beneficial effect of the product. So anyway, with... Out of all the fenugreek stuff out there, Furosap looks the most beneficial. And I actually thought about adding it to my testosterone booster, but I have to see data on how it affects DHT, which was not shown in the study. I have to see data on how it affects prolactin, which was also not shown in the study. And I think that was on purpose. So for now, it's not something I would, certainly not something I would add to my formula. And it's not something I would recommend, but it is something I'm keeping an eye on because it could be beneficial. It has other cool properties such as improving insulin sensitivity, but there are a lot of things that improve insulin sensitivity with no negative impact, such as berberin, arlopoic acid, curcumin. A lot of these things are already in some of my products, EC, the Makuna, my testosterone booster. You have any thoughts on fenugreek, Christian? Is there, have you come across any research? You get asked about it? Well, uh, now that you mention it, I mean, uh, for those who don't know, I just learned that my wife's pregnant. Uh, and as my mm-hmm. guest at offline, uh, I'm actually going to start taking huge doses of fenugreek to increase my prolactin <laughs> so I can actually re- breastfeed myself. We're going to separate the job, my my wife and I. Uh, no, but one, one <laughs> thing that's going to be. Well, it's all about Yeah, man, it's all about gender equality, man. Gender equality, man. Absolutely. <laughs> but one, one supplement you mentioned uh, in your product that I, I really like is the Makuna. I mean, uh, it, it, uh-huh. for me, it's because it, it, it not only does it increase free testosterone, it, it will also increase dopamine. Uh, and yeah. if you, inc- I think that a lot of the sex boosters or testosterone boosters increase libido mostly by increasing dopamine production. So not only will your libido yeah. go up, you actually become more competitive, more upbeat, and more confident. Uh, for Absolutely. athletes, of course, that is a big, big bonus. Anytime 
especially with, I mean, I've been working on uh, something called the neurotyping where I evaluate someone's mm. neurological profile uh, and then I, I change the training programs based on that or the nutritional supplements. And what you have, the most competitive athletes, the most explosive ones, the more competitive ones, they are all dopamine sensitive meaning that they are hyper-responder to dopamine. So these guys, if you give them a supplement that increases dopamine, dude, they will become machines on the field. They become competitive. They become confident, lots of drive to push hard. Uh, They they don't feel as much pain, better tolerance for injuries. So it it, it is a great product. Same thing with cordyceps. I really like cordyceps because it increases dopamine sensitivity, dopamine production. Same thing, of course, with tyrosine and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, to me, it's it's, it's a great, great underused product. Oh, yeah. I'm a big fan of Macoon. And a lot of the people who take my T-Booster, they notice the dopamine increase within the first couple days, a lot of times on the first dose. So a lot of people think, oh, wow, it's already it's already increasing my testosterone. And, and generally, the, the testosterone increase doesn't happen until a couple of weeks, actually. It takes a couple of weeks to build up the bulk line, ashwagandha. But the dopamine, you notice, I, me personally, I notice Makuna the first time I take it. First Absolutely. Dose. I'm, I'm going to – I had the same experience with cordyceps. Uh, I was at uh, the Onnit Academy, and we were talking about cordyceps. And they said, well, you know – uh, there's this big coach who started using high doses of cordyceps, and he noticed uh, a big increase in the sex drive of his athlete. So he said, well, it really boosts testosterone. So I'm going to try it, right? So I'm in my hotel room after the seminar, and I'm taking, well, because I'm kind of stupid sometimes, like I'm taking like seven times the recommended <laughs> dose of cordyceps. Well, dude, within 15 minutes, I probably had the sexual performance of my life. Too bad I was alone in the hotel room, but you know, you should get the drift. Well, did, no uh, did Aubrey, did Aubrey's <laughs> father is the inventor of the flat. Did you know that Aubrey's <laughs> father is the inventor of the flashlight? So did they leave a flashlight for you in that hotel room? So you know, you should have have I didn't need that. I didn't need that. I mean, I, but the point is that you cannot increase a hormone <laughs> in 15 or 30 minutes, at least to a, a, a right. degree that will make a difference. The only thing that can change right. in such a short time is, is a neurotransmitter. That's right. Well, that's why a lot of people who take a lot of people who take Clomid, they take the fertility drug Clomid to increase testosterone after a cycle or to increase testosterone in general as an alternative to TRT. But a lot of the people who take Clomid report that their sex drive doesn't go up at all. And I think one of the reasons is because it's only increasing testosterone and free testosterone. It's not increasing dopamine, but it's also lowering estrogen in the brain. And estrogen is actually really important for sex drive, sex function. You know, if your estrogen gets too low, you have not only no libido, but you're going to have shrinkage and no erection. No, absolutely. You need the proper balance in testosterone, DHG, and estrogen. Uh, if oh, no doubt. If either one of those tanks, then your libido is going to be gone. Man. You need all three. Yeah, it's so true. That's why a lot of times when people take a Remedex or one of these aromatase inhibitors, that's the, that's, their estrogen that's levels the, go down. to patient in the pill. Chemical yeah. And I, yeah. I've known bodybuilders who were taking really it, and even taking like two grams of testosterone, they had zero libido. And even when they stop yeah. their cycle, they had libido problem for months after that. Months. Yeah. Yeah. It can be pretty scary. I've heard about people that have had up to six months it took to start feeling yeah. normal. And that's really scary because you don't just feel... It's not something where you just feel okay and maybe you get by on Viagra and Cialis. Even that's not going to work. 
for several months. So that can, for a man, that's really scary. You know, don't have the desire for sex. There's nothing wrong mechanically with you. There's nothing, not a pill that can fix that. I mean, you have to bring back the desire. I mean, uh, I I was talking to a guy in Poland, uh, an expert in in chemicals. He was was even even using uh, intranasal insulin. And he noticed that it mm. really triggers an increase in libido and memory and all that. Because you, you know as well as I do that uh, Alzheimer's disease really is diabetes, uh, insulin resistance yeah, in the brain. Cannot yeah. Yeah. So it's yep. being studied, like uh, using a intranasal insulin to solve Alzheimer's problems. So, so, uh, That's really interesting. Can, and insulin also yeah. increases nitric oxide, so you're going to get yep. way more blood flow. That's that's really interesting. I've heard of, I've actually heard about. I don't know if it was intranasal insulin or some other form of insulin that was way cheaper than injections and nearly as effective. And it was it was never brought to the market because for pharmaceutical competitive reasons. Mm-hmm. No, of course. I mean, I, maybe, maybe it was a trochee or something medicine, like that. How many of these medicines are we would have available? If it were not for the fact that they would not bring enough profits in, right? That's exactly right. There was there was one for growth hormone as well. It was some kind of growth hormone that could be delivered delivered through a trochee, and the company mm-hmm. had everything in line. They had studies to support it. It was dramatically cheaper than growth hormone injections, which can run five hundred to a thousand dollars a month. And then they're also a real nuisance because they have, it has to be refrigerated. So for someone who travels, it's totally impractical. And this trochee yeah. was nearly as good, if not as good, and it was squashed from being brought to the market for similar reasons. I believe it. I mean, it's a war there, and it's the customers, or I would say the people who have health issues that are footing the bill at the end because they are not getting better, or they are getting better, right. but at a much higher price. Yeah, Exactly. Well, we can segue into some of the other questions I have for you. What are your thoughts on optimal meal frequency, right? Because we hear a lot of different conflicting advice on this, such as people love intermittent fasting. They go eight hours without eating and then eat a ton. There's other people that want six, seven meals a day. Every two hours they're eating, and then there's in between. So what's your take on what's optimal for those of us who work out hard? Uh, honestly, personally, right, I believe that there's no such thing as the optimal meal frequency, meaning that uh, there isn't one frequency that is ideal for everybody. I believe that right. it depends uh, on your neurological profile as well as your hormonal profile. I mean, uh, intermittent fasting uh, can be a good approach if you're built for it. For example, if right. your your type Underproduces cortisol because it, what happens when you're fasting, right? Your blood sugar level will go down, so you need to mobilize stored glycogen to maintain blood sugar level. And you have several hormones that can do that. You have cortisol, you have glucagon, you have growth hormone. So, so if you're someone who overproduces cortisol, the main hormone you will use to rebalance blood sugar level will be cortisol. And of course, if your cortisol is elevated, for 16 hours a day, that leads to several problems. First of all, your immune system will be shipped. You, Of course, it's going to be pretty much impossible to build muscle mass. You also can develop insulin resistance because that's one thing people don't understand. Right. Chronically elevated cortisol level will 
make you insulin resistant. Now, that's one of right. the issue. Another issue is that chronically elevated cortisol level will crash T3 thyroid hormone 3 level because mm. the conversion of the T4, which is the inactive thyroid hormone, that conversion into the T3, which is the active thyroid hormone, the one responsible for keeping your metabolic rate up, is dependent right. on cortisol. If cortisol increases, it stops that conversion. Not only that, it will increase the production of thyroid-binding protein 3, which will make the little T3 you're producing inactive. So people who are yeah. cortisol overproducers, if you put them on an intermittent fasting regimen, then all kind of bad stuff will happen. But if you have someone with a cortisol underproducer, those people who tolerate stress really well, those who are not right. nervous, you know the type, right? Nothing, nothing mm -hmm. gets to them, right? Now, these people, right. the hormone they will use to maintain blood sugar level will be growth hormone and glucagon. So if they do intermittent fasting, in fact, they will have an increase in growth hormone for several hours in the day. So not only will they mobilize more fat and get leaner, it's actually possible for them to increase muscle mass because of growth hormone. Once they have that huge meal at the end, they will have the combination of growth hormone and insulin creating a release in IGF-1, which is the most anabolic hormone. Right. So if you are that kind of person, intermittent fasting will work for you. If you are someone who is always stressed out, uh, always worries about everything, you will overproduce cortisol, so you will lose muscle and you will lose the capacity to, 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 to lose fat, get leaner, because of that thyroid crash, because of that insulin right. resistance that's going to build up. Right? Now, you also have a third type, and the type that uh, is more of a binger, right? So he does intermittent fasting only to allow himself to eat crap and not feel guilty. If that's you, don't do intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting is not a license to eat crap. Intermittent fasting <laughs> right. is a meal pattern. It's not a diet. A diet is the, ra the, the, the ratios of the nutrients. Like if I'm going ketogenic, that means I have at least 60% of my calories from fat and none from carbohydrates. If I'm on the zone diet, it's 40, 30, 30. If I'm on a high-carb diet or carb cycling, it's always referring to the, the ratios of nutrients. Intermittent fasting is a pattern of eating. Now, you can be intermittent right. fasting keto. You could be intermittent fasting high carbs. But you should not mm -hmm. be intermittent fasting crap eating, right? If you're eating the same right. food, but you just eat them at different times in the day. So to me, right. uh, the optimal meal frequency will really depend on mostly how your body tolerates and handles stress. Because if your body has problem with stress, overproducing cortisol, you probably want a higher meal frequency. Anyway, you're probably of the type that doesn't like to eat big meals. Because when you're anxious, right. you're stressed out, you are in sympathetic mode. The body is not in rest mm -hmm. and digest mode uh, because that's all it is, right? Anxiety, all it is, is the neuron firing super fast. People make that anxiety yeah. thing way too complicated. It's only the neuron firing super fast, either because dopamine or adrenaline increases neuronal activity. 
And then you have either serotonin or GABA, that their role is simply to calm down the neurons, to reduce their firing frequency. That's all it is. So when you have a lot of serotonin, lots of GABA, then when your neurons get too excited, it's very easy to bring them back down. These people will handle stress very easily. But if right. you don't, then you have a low serotonin or low GABA, then the problem is that when those neurons fire fast, you stay in that sympathetic mode and you don't have any appetite. So you will need to have more frequent meals, first to get enough calories in, but also to help you fight the cortisol increase. Because if you spike blood sugar levels a bit, or even fat, then you will not have to increase cortisol as much because the main function of cortisol is to mobilize energy. So if you're constantly giving your body energy, there's no need to release the hormone that will mobilize it. So, I mean, I'm right. sorry, guys, I don't have an easy answer. It's really a matter of... Uh, no, that's know, a good answer. And I think, I think a lot of the people who do well on intermittent fasting... A lot of the people who do well on intermittent fasting fall into the category you just mentioned without realizing it, and they think it's going to work for everyone else the same way without taking into account just different neurotypes. Also, I think one of the things people do on intermittent fasting, most of the people I know who do intermittent fasting, they drink copious amounts of coffee throughout the day. I was going to mention that. And that's just going to make, yeah, that's just going to make things even worse. You, know, you already have high cortisol. Now you're, now you're putting fuel on the high cortisol by drinking an adrenaline-releasing drink all day long. Because because what happens is that coffee, caffeine, will increase neuronal activity. And then it puts you in high-anxiety mode. And that high-anxiety mode is what will release that cortisol. So if you are someone who's already nervous, already stressed out, already paranoid or worried about everything, then you take coffee when you are intimate. And you know as well as I do that when you are on an empty stomach, everybody hits you harder. I think most things hit you oh, yeah. harder. So, so if yeah. you are in that state and you take caffeine, then your brain, there, the, your neural activity is even faster. If you have low serotonin or low GABA, you cannot even bring yourself back down. So when you are at home, what happens, even with that big meal, you will have a hard time sleeping because your brain is still super active. That's all it is. Anxiety right. is your brain going too fast. And that's why you don't sleep because your brain is going so fast, it needs to do something, right? Starting your brain is like starting your car engine. I mean, if you just put your car and start it and let it in the driveway, all kinds of bad stuff will happen. You need to run the car. <laughs> right. Same thing with your brain. If your brain fires fast, you need to use your brain power, either to be physically active or to think. So that's why people, when they right. have high anxiety, they are, they are lying in bed and they are thinking about their day, thinking about tomorrow, about this and that, and they just can't go to sleep. It's simply their neurons that, that cannot relax. They, they lack serotonin, right. they lack gas. A lot of people watch TV before going to bed, and that increases oh. dopamine, irrespective of what you're watching. I find that reading for two hours before I go to bed, that just quiets the mind, makes the mind oh. fatigued. So when the mind is fatigued and the body is fatigued, now you're not going to be tossing and turning. No, absolutely. I mean, uh, and I agree 100%. Dopamine and adrenaline are both neural activators. Both in, you know, mm. Everybody understands that adrenaline speeds up your brain. 
But dopamine does the same thing. So any pleasurable activities right. like that can do that. Like reading, especially if you're lying in bed, because your eyes will be looking slightly upward, that actually right. calm down your brain. So that's a great way. And right. Because you have to concentrate. Because when you're just watching TV, you don't have to concentrate. So it's all pleasure, right. but no effort. When you're reading, you're making a, right. a cognitive effort, which tires the brain down, tires the brain out, and then you can fall asleep. So that's the difference between both. It can be irritating as well, too. If you're watching regular TV with commercials and all that, it can be irritating, which makes you even more of an anxiety-type state. Absolutely. Or, you know, most people are watching the news before they go to bed, which is going to, you know, that's going to piss you off and get you all jacked. Especially, you know, the stock market's crashing. They're thinking about their 401k before they go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all this other stuff. Yeah. That's the last thing you want to think about before going to bed, man. Uh, yeah. last, last couple of days haven't last couple of days haven't been good for the stock market. That's for sure. I'm not even looking right now. I'm like, you know what? No, I'm just not well, going to look because. Well, <laughs> well, we talked about it. You know, we talked about it about a month ago. I was like, well, you know, this this is going to oh, have yeah. to stop eventually. So, so if you already have oh, that I, just, mindset, I pulled a lot of money out that, recently. Even just yeah. hearing that news, yeah. just hearing that news shouldn't even bother you. It's just like, uh, eh, that's what the stock market does. You know, you, you got to know that oh, it's yeah. not going to be correct up, up, up yeah. forever. What goes up must come down. So. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> yeah. give you the advice that Polican gave to me a while ago. Just buy gold. I mean, everywhere everywhere you go, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep, gold and silver, man. So at least it's real. Well, you could do you could you, you could do what my dad. Uh, my dad. Uh, my dad always shorts the market, and he made a killing these last couple of days because he he hit it right yeah, on, saying, the, on the, the button. <laughs> yeah, this is oh, the perfect time. Yeah, oh, it is. I was like, you know. He's been he's been I'm shorting the market. At Disney stock and, right now is looking very good. Right before Black Panther comes out, I'm like, I'm because Disney stock was way kind of high. I was like, I don't feel like buying that right now. But I was like, oh yeah, go ahead, market, keep crashing, go down a little bit more, a little bit more before next Friday. Let me get a nice little stack of Disney stock right right before this movie comes out. And then hey, I'm happy. So that's how you got to look at it. You know, it's not the end of the world, man. If you got other and other Charles, ways of having, income. yeah. And Charles Charles recommends buying Charles recommends buying gold because he spent a lot of time in the Middle East where a bunch of guys were feeling his arms and that was the advice they gave him. They're like, just buy gold. <laughs> I really need to go back to training and talk about the best glute exercise to post on Instagram. Right. <laughs> let's let's talk about let's talk about glute exercises actually because what do you think about what do you what do you think about hip thrusts right? Those, those, yeah, those, I think that's go. what it's called, right? Can we talk about abdominal Because we, there's a lot, of, a lot of controversy on those. <laughs> no, I, I don't <laughs> yeah, hip thrust, hip, thrust, hip thrust with a person, that makes a lot more sense. I'm not asking no, about that, I, but I, I, hip I, thrust I, with a barbell. <laughs> I understand that they, like, they work. They probably work. I mean, if you look at all the, the EMG data, they work, and all those uh, Instagram models are using them, so they, it probably works. Uh, probably I'm 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 going to be really boring. I, I will stick to sumo, deadlift, Romanian deadlift, and deadlift for me. Um, right. I just because to me it's it's the the risk to reward ratio. I mean I've used uh, hip trust with, with clients, but mostly when we're working on on activation. 
so for example, if okay. the client is, is quad dominant, then what we can do is do a glute exercise that includes an isometric action prior to working on the deadlift or the squat. So for example, you could do a hip thrust. I'm going to hold the top position for 30 seconds, squeezing the glutes as hard as possible to tell the brain, this is the muscle I want you to use. Then go out and do 8 to 12 reps on that hip thrust. So with the isometric hold, you don't have to use lots of weight. I don't want to put that much weight on my pelvis personally. I mean, on the spine. Right. Uh, to me, it just, I mean, when you have an exercise where a girl who can squat, let's say 185, can hip thrust 400, then there's something wrong. Right. Does that mean that I will have right. to use a thousand pounds to get a good workout? I mean, I'm not James Harrison, so <laughs> no. But yeah. But yeah. I, I think that it's I mean, for- a good tool. Uh, to mm-hmm. learn to contract your glutes. Uh, and I think that on Instagram, girls, it will get you a lot of followers because it looks sexy. <laughs> but I don't like yeah. heavy loaded hip thrusts personally. That That's just me, right? Uh, I, I don't right. program them. I'm not saying they don't work. I mean, I don't think that there's an exercise that is a big basic barbell lift when it's properly done, that doesn't work. I mean, I'm sure it works, but to, in my opinion, there are better options. Uh, I prefer to... Well, my, my attitude is, what is what is the carryover, right? Because I, for me, the gold standard of glute exercises is the glute ham raise. Yeah. Now, I've seen people that can do hip thrusts with, like women with 225, men with 315 or more, and they can't do one rep body weight on the glute ham raise. So that, to me, but, shows a real disconnect. And I've seen, I've seen a lot of people that are pretty strong on a lot of exercises, but... They can't do glute ham raises. I look at dragon flags as one of the best ab exercises. And I can, yeah. I've taught many seminars all over the world where that was part of the curriculum. And barely anyone, and there were a lot of strong men and women in the course too, but barely anyone could do even one rep. But actually, not even the negative, let alone the concentric. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And that, that's one of the big problems right there. It's just like in, in a different kind of angle, but the leg press and the squat, I mean, you have some people who can leg right. press a thousand pounds, but they can't squat 225. What good is that, right? To me, the, the key exercises, the measuring sticks, if you want, are the big basic mm-hmm. model lift and body weight exercise where you have to move your body right. space. So if what you're doing doesn't improve your capacity to do these lifts, then to me, the carryover is not just not good. Sure, the hip thrust will build great glutes, but there are many other exercises that do that, right? Uh, yeah. But will it make you more functional? I, I know that, that that's a word that's being thrown around way too much, way too much. I don't <laughs> want to use it myself, but to me, I, I don't see the value of that over a properly, I think. All right, I think a pro, the problem is that coaches don't teach clients how to squat and deadlift properly. I mean, sure they're going from right. point A to point B, and it looks decent, right? But there's a difference between a squat looking okay and a squat having the right recruitment pattern. The problem is that when you're right. looking at somebody's squat, you don't know where the tension is. I mean, if you're squatting and really trying to root your feet externally rotating. Uh, your feet and your hip, then you will increase glute activation tenfold, right? But if right. you don't do that, sure, the squat will be mostly quad. And to the untrained right. eye, you won't see the difference. And most coaches do not teach that. 
So, of course, it will give these people a flat butt because just doing the squat is not enough to trigger the glutes. You have to create tension right. in the right muscles. So I think that a lot of these coaches who have not had success developing glutes with the deadlift and the squat, they turn on to the easy answer of doing hip thrust instead of really yeah. teaching clients, spending time with their clients, spending time coaching them, uh, giving them feedback, analyzing their technique. They go with the easy solution of just do that exercise, then you're going to give glutes. Just teach them to right. squat and deadlift properly, you would get those loots. Yeah. I mean, just think about this. Also, I used though, to, like, marketing uh, wise, yeah, Marketing-wise, you got to think about this. It's a lot sexier to sell the whole hip thrust thing to a client, especially right. like if you're going to patronize it to a female client to sell that, then actually squat because you, you're thinking in their mind, you're thinking to squat is something for these big, muscular, muscle-bound, muscle-head dudes. And let's get something because I, I just want to work on my butt. And for these internet models, you know, the, the reason why they're probably focusing on it because they don't really care about getting stronger. They, they care about getting followers and sponsorships. Yep. And that's the thing that matters right. most of them. So, cause the thing is, you always wonder, like, okay, if I put her on the squat rack, how much can she really squat? You know, she can sit here and do those hip thrusts all day long. She can sit and do these unnecessary lunges all day long. And then all these other exercises that they make up, it just doesn't make any sense. I'm like, why are you doing that? Other than trying to make it seem like it's giving you a bigger butt. But, you also got to keep in mind that a lot of those butts weren't even built in that gym. It was built in like Brazil or in Beverly Hills inside <laughs> of the doctor's office as well. So, so you got to know exactly what, to the untrained eye, you think that was all about squats. So the rest of us are like, oh, you bought that butt. <laughs> so, so that's the thing. About it. you know, it's not even concerned it, it, about It's strong. funny because I was, uh, I was training uh, at the gym. Actually, sometimes I train at, at the local bro gym because it's like three minutes away from my house. And now that we're in winter, there's like five feet of snow everywhere, so it's easier for me to go there. And there was this girl filming, well, her boyfriend was filming her, right? She probably wants to be the next Instagram star. She was at a Smith machine, right? And she had the barbell. Okay, she was sideways, not like in front. She was sideways with the barbell on one shoulder. And she was... Like, like a lumberjack, uh, like, a, like a lumber on his on his Right, shoulder. like log. Was squatting right. that way. And we're talking about a Smith <laughs> machine that is angled. You know those those Smith machines that are not straight up and down? It's like a slight angle. She was doing that, yeah. that, that lumberjack thing on her shoulder and just squatting that way. Why are you just squatting? It's exactly the same motion. She is doing exactly the same <laughs> right. pattern as a squat, but with a bar, but the other way around just to look different. <laughs> More of the Live Life Aggressively show right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Live Life Aggressively show is sponsored by Health IQ. Health IQ is an insurance company that helps health conscious people such as runners, cyclists, strength trainers, plant-based athletes, and more secure lower rates on their life insurance. Health IQ uses science and data to help its customers living a healthy lifestyle secure lower rates on life insurance, as opposed to typical waist-to-hip ratio calculations used by conventional life insurance companies. Health IQ is not a life insurance broker or an insurer. Health IQ is a life insurance agency providing exclusive rates to health conscious applicants who qualify through their Health IQ quiz and other lifestyle quizzes. You can even get additional savings by submitting actual data such as race results as well as your Strava, RunKeeper, or other fitness lifestyle app data. How can Health IQ pass along these savings? Well, 
Health IQ can save you up to 33% because physically active people have a 56% lower risk of heart disease, 20% lower risk of cancer, and 58% lower risk of diabetes compared to people who are inactive. Just like saving money on your car insurance for being a good driver, Health IQ saves you money on your life insurance for living a health-conscious lifestyle. To see if you qualify, get your free quote today at healthiq.com slash LLA or mention the promo code LLA when you talk to your Health IQ agent. Again, head over to healthiq.com slash LLA and get your free quote today. And don't forget to mention the promo code LLA when you speak with a Health IQ agent. And now back to the show. Seriously, why? Just squat. Because that looks cooler than a regular squat. Well, the problem is people don't feel like they can sell the basics, which is really erroneous myopic thinking because it's not about selling the basics. It's about creating results for your client, and nothing does that better than the basics. So if you're looking to produce results, the basics are always going to work. Yeah, the basics are – nothing's ever going to beat squat, deadlift, overhead press, weighted pull-ups, dragon flags, and then supplemental exercises like glute ham raises, kettlebell swings. Nothing's going to beat this stuff. So I, I think I, I, I think I, I, trainers have the wrong mindset when they feel, oh, I got to do stuff different to entertain my clients. Your clients are not coming in to be entertained. They're coming in to get results. So as long as yeah. you program that in their mind going, look, we can do all this variety bullshit and waste each other's time, or we can come in here and get great results. And if you want glute activation, I'll just squeeze your glutes for you. And yeah. that'll, that'll really <laughs> activate them. <you> know? <laughs> I have like a personal true story, all right? I'm going to make a confession here, right? Gonna make a confession. Okay. Uh, <laughs> in August, I had a, <laughs> in August, I had a photo shoot for my website. Okay, so for uh, the, I would say the, since May, I had been doing mostly like the typical bro workout. Okay, like machine stuff, <laughs> isolation work, now, and I looked pretty good on the on the pictures, right? And I kept, but mostly because uh-huh. I was lean. I kept training the same way, isolation, really squeezing and pumping the muscle, and it felt good and all that stuff, right? But recently, last week, I started going back to the big basics. Really simple program, right? Every day, I have four exercises. Uh, I have two pressing exercises every day, and on one day, it's uh, two squatting version, and then the other day, it's two deadlift or one deadlift and one pull like chin-up, row, something variation, and I'll go back and forth, back and forth between these two. And it's five sets of five, really, really basic. Dude, in one uh-huh. week, I had more progress than in the previous right. five months. I mean, seriously, I oh, yeah. look jacked as fuck. Like, thicker. I, I, I'm not stupid. I know it's not. I didn't build, like, 10 pounds of muscle. But, but the, the thickness, the look is already different. Of course, I'm experienced. Oh, and some of that is probably regained muscle. But now three weeks right. in, and I, I look like I'm, I'm thicker, I'm wider, and I haven't done a – my arms are bigger, and I haven't done a single isolation exercise. I mean, I'm not against isolation exercise. But to me, mm-hmm. when I go back to that, I believe that isolation exercises are mostly effective when you have problems recruiting a muscle. So if I, 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 right. I cannot recruit my bicep, then I'm going to practice contracted them with curls. But it's really practical right. contraction. So that afterwards, then when you are good at contracting that muscle and you switch to chin up pull ups rows, then those biceps will be better included in that big basic lift. I'm still gonna do isolation work, but mostly because I like the feeling, the pump feeling. But it will it, it will sure. not be the main 
focus on my training anymore because I mean I've always been a big basic guy. I mean I was an Olympic weightlifter. I said was more powerful right. training, uh, and now I just I, I moved away from that because of a shoulder pain. But now it's fixed. Now I'm I'm, I'm addicted to the results I'm getting right now, and I'm. And I, even at I, more than 40, I mean, uh, I'm, my strength is going up, and I'm, I'm getting the look back that I had, like the power look. I mean, uh, three months ago, I had that pretty boy beach body look, okay? That looked good <laughs> without a shirt, right? Uh, but now I'm getting that, that tang look that I like. like traps, back, right. shoulders, everything's thicker. So there's a dip. I, mean, I know that you're going to argue, well, you can recruit just as much muscle fibers by doing high reps for sure, okay? But practically speaking, it does not give you the same results. The big basic gives right. you a completely different look to your physique. Yeah. Yeah, I did that small uh, squat routine. And I remember the last time we were on, I, I was thinking about doing it. And you're like, oh, don't do it. You're going to hate it and all that. I actually really liked it. And I'll tell you yeah. the couple of the changes I made to make sure I had success with it. After yeah. Now that I've completed it, I have a much greater understanding of where most people go wrong when they try it because most people I spoke to, they said, Oh, by week four, I was missing reps. And then I started getting weaker. Here's the mistake. I think most people make, they use either a fictitious one rep max, especially guys, right? They always think they can do more than they can do. Well, I think I can squat 550, even though they've never squatted 500 or they use their actual one rep max. But look, your actual one rep max is what you can do when the stars are aligned, <laughs> you had a perfect pre-workout meal, your sleep was great the night before. That's not what you can do most times. That's, that's when everything is perfect. So what I did is I used 90% of my one, of what I knew for sure I could do. Not my, not my best one rep max of all time, what my one rep max was at the time of starting the program. I used 90% of that. And as a result of that, I cruised through the first several weeks. In fact, the most gains I made were in the first four weeks. I went, I never missed a rep. Every workout felt great. The frequency, I've never squatted that often. So the frequency was great in terms of improving technique. Technique got a lot better. Confidence got a lot better. Comfort with squatting got a lot better. And, you know, I hit a PR. I added 10 pounds to my all time best, not my, not 10 pounds to my max when I started the program, but 10 pounds to the best of all time that I've ever done within four weeks. You know, then I got sick and had a couple other problems, but I finished strong at the end of the program. But I'm I'm confident that the main reason why most people fail is they just start off with an estimated one rep max that is way too high. And if they just Absolutely. used a smaller percentage of that, they would actually do pretty well with it. Uh, you are 100% correct on that. I mean, just look at two of the smartest guys in our field, like Jim Wendler and Paul Carter. Like Jim Wendler, when right. he wrote... Five two one. He recommends use ninety percent of your max. And in a recent right. article, Paul mentioned that uh, the big problem, one of the biggest problems people make is when they are planning a program. They're like planning based on percentage, a routine based on percentages. They use their the one lift they made, like as you mentioned, when the stars were aligned and everything felt good. You have to <laughs> use the weight that you can make any day even if you feel like total crap. Because when you do the right. program, you will have days where you feel like total crap, and these are the days that if you yeah. are basing a program on, a, on your like, all-time max, then you will fail on those days. But the thing that people don't understand, it's not just failing the reps that is not good. Right? It's those reps where you really have to grind up the weight 
your breakdown technique. Those reps with the yeah. big basic lift costs you so much in terms of neural oh, yeah. recovery. That when you do a program right. like small level, you're squatting three or four times a week, that your nervous system cannot recover in time for the next session. And then you are right. basically yourself into a hole. So most of the reps should be not necessarily easy, but should always be in perfect form and never grinding those reps. Right. That is the secret with, with high frequency. If you're squatting once oh, yeah. a week or deadlifting once a week, yeah, sure, trash yourself. That's fine because you have time to recover. Right. But if you have right. in a high frequency approach, then you cannot get those reps where you struggle to make weight. I, I train um, a CrossFit athlete, uh, and his best snatch was uh, 245, okay? Uh, and during the program, we never used in training more than 235. When came test day, he snatched 285. Because wow. he was becoming nearly, and of course his squat went up, his deadlift, his deadlift went up, uh, but his technique was pristine, and we built strength by frequency, we built strength by acceleration, we built strength by mm -hmm. uh, building muscle by doing slightly higher reps. In, in this case, sometimes we went up to uh, sets of five or using complexes, which is high reps for Olympic weightlifting. But yeah, I've seen it. People make the mistake with high frequency of going too hard. You should never grind a rep when you're doing high-frequency training. So that's the thing, right? Depending on the – you have progressive overload, you have frequency, you have uh, metabolite accumulation. You have many ways of, of improving, gaining muscle, gaining strength. But, but the method you're using should reflect the frequency you are using. The, the more right. often you're doing a big lift, the less hard – you can go on that list and still keep progressing. Right. If you're not in the gym to progress, then don't be there. And that's something that's, that's <laughs> right. that's a lot of people to understand. It's all about progress. If you're not training for progress, you're not training at all. You know, that's always the way I look at it as well. How do you even? How do you even? What's your barometer of of actually improving if you're not improving your strength? But the other thing I did with small levels, so just just to reiterate your point, is I never trained a failure because I used a percentage which was relatively easy. So some of the sets were difficult, as in you had a focus towards the end, but I never missed a rep and it was never the failure and the technique never changed. So rep number five looked like rep number one or rep number nine looked like rep number one or the fifth set looked like the first set. It would get more incrementally difficult, but it was never a fear. There was never a chance I was going to fail. And I think a lot of the mistakes people also make is they go through the first phase where you're squatting four times a week. And let's say you cruise through that and you do really well. Now, in the next phase, you overestimate what you can do. You make the same mistake that you, you, didn't, you didn't make the mistake initially, but now you're making it because you're overconfident. You're like, oh, man, I just added 30 pounds to my squad. Now I'm going to now I'm going to use this max and really get great results. And then you hit a plateau and the whole thing falls apart. The, th the thing with the big basics is as soon as you hit 80 percent of your maximum on the big basic lift, you are getting full right. fiber recruitment or the full. Right. Recruit all fiber recruitment, right? So, so even if the set, you're using 80%, you do, let's say, three reps, it feels easy or well, it's still working. It's still working. Right. Because you are at that threshold where you are working. That's actually a good thing. Yeah. To the fibers. So, so, so and, uh, yeah, what, Ed Cohen always says that, too. Yeah, Ed Cohen says you're going to build strength with 80% and then you're going to peak with 90% or more as you get close to a competition, but all the strength is built with that 80%. Yeah. 
90% plus, well, actually 92% plus is only to demonstrate the strength you have. It's between 80 right. and 90, 80 and 88% that you're really building that strength. But one mistake that people right. make, that is a corollary of what you just said, because now you have yeah. all these spreadsheets available on the internet, right? Uh, that peaking <laughs> cycle, right? And what people do, you uh-huh. they enter their their maximum, and then it calculates all the weights for, let's say, 12 weeks. And at the end, you see right. that your max is going to, well, Okay. What people, what, what they do is, okay, my max squat is 315, and they see at the end I'm going to be squatting 365. Uh, I really want to squat 385. So what they do is they, <laughs> they change a starting yeah. weight to, to use a weight that will give them that 385 at the end of the cycle, and it leads to the exact right. same problem. Right. No, that's exactly true. Everyone I've talked to who didn't have good results in the small off, if you probe further, it was that kind of mistake. It was just being overly aggressive or just being greedy with it. I go, because people ask me, they go, also, here's the other thing with small F. Most people advertise it or promote it as you're going to add 55 to 100 pounds to your squat, which I think is ridiculous, unless you're a beginner. And if you're a beginner, you shouldn't be doing small F. But I didn't go into it with that expectation. I go, look, I'm not going to take my squat from 455 to 550 in 12 weeks. That's just not going to happen. Even if I'm taking anabolics, it's just not going to happen. I didn't have that ridiculous expectation. Yeah, I took it from 455 to 475, and that was enough for me. It was progress. You know, 10 pounds in the first four weeks, and then, you know, so I'm stronger. And then now I'm squatting once a week, like you talked about, and my recovery is so much better on the squat from being from coming off the small up program. That once a week is every time I go in now to squat, I feel fresh, I feel strong, coming out of the gates all the way to the end. So and you're more exactly, I'm, I'm definitely going to do the program again. Yeah, the technique is way better. I'm definitely going to do the program again at some point this year, and I'm and I'm and I'm going to have even better results because now I know how to to fine tune it further to get the outcome I wanted, or the outcome I want rather. I think another problem that people because uh, small of was really really popular in CrossFit circles for a while uh, because right, CrossFit right. the back squat is a very important movement because it will increase pretty much everything in CrossFit uh, and CrossFit. They, they don't want like a full training program. They want something they can add to their CrossFit workout. That's why 531 works great for CrossFit athletes because the 531 will take them about, tw- portion will take about 20 minutes in a day and they can do their wads afterwards. I, I've seen a lot of CrossFit people engage in a smaller program and actually their squat went down. But that's because they kept doing the same amount of CrossFit work they were doing before. And they were doing like 10,000 deadlifts a week, uh, Olympic lifts to the wazoo, front squat here and there. So, of course, you just can't recover from that. I mean, that's the thing you, people, uh, they, they, have, they, they overestimate how much they, rec- they can recover from. Same thing, right? right? I just wrote an article. Uh, I called it uh, a simple but guaranteed strength inside, which is a very basic progressive overload program. <laughs> Using five, uh, four basic lifts per workout, four workouts a day, uh, a week. Uh, using like uh, five, five by five, then sets of three, then five, three, one. Very, very simple. Uh, five, four, two, two, one. Very simple program. Uh, but one thing I write is do not add isolation work to the program. Yes, right. you, you will be tempted to do that because you won't get that big pump in your bicep in your gun, but but that will prevent you from recovering soon enough to be able to lift heavier for the next workout. 
You're doing full oh, yeah. basics four days a week, five sets of five. You cannot have five isolation exercises and expect to recover. That's the problem. People right. overestimate right. the capacity to recover. And they add this and that. Yeah, but it's only biceps work. Sure. But it still uses energy, still releases <laughs> cortisol, still increases neural activation, creates systemic fatigue. Not as much as a squat, but if you pile on 10 isolation exercises, then it, it, it does represent a significant increase in training load. And don't, right. You're not a superhuman. You're, if you were a freak, you'd know it by now, right? Just accept your limitations <laughs> and be smart about training. That was the other thing I did with small up is I didn't do any other leg work, of course, besides no, the squat. No. And for upper body, I did upper body on each day, but I only did a couple sets of overhead presses, yeah. some kind of pressing motion, some kind of pulling, usually weighted pull-ups. And I just did a couple sets each time yeah. I went in to do squats, and that was it. That, that's perfect. And that's the, the, the people who actually – the only CrossFit athlete I've seen make great progress on small up were those who had shoulder injuries. Because they could not yeah, do their CrossFit do workout anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. If yeah, you're with CrossFit, if you're, doing, if you're doing small up and then you're doing a bunch of those other CrossFit workouts, forget it. It's definitely not. You have, you have to cut out so much stuff. You have to cut out the deadlift. You have to cut out all those Olympic lifting drills. All that stuff's got to go. Yeah, because people don't understand. Boxing, how, it. And it's not just the, 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 the leg. <laughs> it's the lower back. The lower back is oh, yeah. the muscle that takes that takes the longest to recover. But people don't people don't realize it because it it really is a prime mover. But it's involved in maintaining proper lifting posture. I mean that's oh, yeah. why wearing a belt can actually make you squat bigger weight because it helps you get a stronger core. Well, it's, if your oh, yeah. back is lower back is weak because it's tired, then you cannot squat as much weight. Then your technique's gonna change. Right. I'm going to take bad habits. And I was using low bar, so it's even more back recruitment. Yeah, so that's even absolutely. more it's even more pronounced. And now you really have to pay attention to that. What do you yeah, think about yeah. low bar, actually, on that topic? What do you think about high bar versus low bar? Uh, actually, it, 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 good, good, it's a good question. Uh, I've always squatted high bar because I was doing Olympic weightlifting, and I also have a long right. torso and short legs, right? Uh, right, right. So, so to me, mechanically speaking, it's easier to do a high bar uh, because if I do a low bar, then I, I of course the, the torso angle would be a bit more forward and the hips are, are more backward. But since my my torso is so long, it gives me a really really bad mechanical leverage uh, to do a squat. Right. Uh, whereas because uh, I have long tibias, short femurs. And long torso, it's very easy for me to maintain a super upright position. My my back squat right. probably has the same angle as a front torso angle as a front squat. So to me, the the, the 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 high bar is more natural. That having been said, recently I started squatting low bar because for that same reason. I mean, I, I am quite dominant, and I want to put myself at that mechanical disadvantage. Uh, right. To, be able to work on my weaknesses. Now, I wouldn't say it's a pure low bar because my torso angle will not be as bent forward as what you see um, Ripito advising or something like that because that oh, is yeah. too much of a disadvantage for me. I would have to put the barbell almost below my scapulas to have proper mechanical <laughs> advantage. 
So that uh, that my shoulders are going to probably be left on the floor. But but I, yeah. I, I'm starting to like it. I'm starting to like it. But what I, I took me a while. I like it now, though. Yeah, yeah exactly. It takes a minute it's to get been, used to it. It's been three weeks in, and it's starting to feel good. It's starting to feel good. But more importantly, I feel that like it's really helped make my deadlift go up. So to me, that's a big benefit right. because I right. always be my, my my nemesis. So and I don't want right. as an exercise. I want to keep it simple. So that's one of the reasons why I switched to low bar. Also, the reason is that uh, I gave a seminar in Poland uh, a few weeks back with one of my good friends, uh, who's a powerlifting coach, and he was teaching uh-huh. low bar. Well, that, that looks pretty cool. I'm going to try that because because of my neurotype. Things have to be interesting for me. If I if I don't have anything new to learn or to practice, I lose interest. So okay, right. I, I suck at the low bar. I want to unsuck at the low bar. So I, I'm learning. <laughs> I'm learning to like it. I'm learning to like it. I mean, I have long legs. I have long legs like I have long legs like a supermodel. So for me, it makes okay. sense. <laughs> well, you look like a supermodel. Like, like a supermodel. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Long, long as in length, you know, not as in uh, thickness and strength. <laughs> People think I'm taller than I am because of my leg. They're like, what are you, 6'2"? I'm like, no, I'm 6 feet. They're like, no, no, you, you're taller than that. I was like, like, I think I know how tall I am. You know, unless I've had a growth spurt in the last you know, couple of years. <laughs> Yeah, your body type does make a difference in how you are perceived to be really tall. People think I'm five one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in width, you know, not height. <laughs> when I'm when I'm seated, you, I look if like you I'm spread, if you one. spread your if you spread your lats, you might be five one, you know, in width. But <laughs> if I'm seated, I look like I'm six one, six two because my torso is so long. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm all, almost the same height seated than standing. <laughs> You're seated, people are all intimidated, then you stand up real fast. They're like, okay, I'm not scared. <laughs> <don't>, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not scared anymore. <laughs> I um, My back is also one of my stronger areas. So I think low bar lends itself to there as well because the more I can recruit my back on squats, the more weight I'm going to move, the more comfortable it is. So when I when I do low bar, people think I'm people people almost think I'm doing a good morning. You know, it's that yeah. much of of a lean. I never have lower back strain. I never yeah, I never have lower back strain doing it because the bar the bar is in my center of mass, right? So it's not a strain on my lower back. But but if you don't know better, you think it is. People are like, oh man, look at that guy squatting all that weight. That's got to be bad in his back. But I'm bracing the ass, I'm pushing them out. With yeah. long legs, especially if your tibias are short relative to your femurs, your your butt has, right. has to move way back to be in a mechanically good position to squat. And you absolutely right. have to compensate by bending forward. Otherwise, the barbell will be behind your, your base of support or at the back of the right. base of support. There's no way you can push hard. But that's the thing. The barbell has to be in the middle of your base of support, which is basically your feet. So uh, to right. me, uh, my my torso angle would be more upright because I don't have. If I lean forward, I get out of my base of support. So I think that the yeah. people should look for the squatting style that fits their body type the best. Uh, right. To me, right. I, I put the bar in a more lower bar, low back, low bar position, but it's still like a low bar, high bar hybrid. To me, to me, okay, I, uh, I know what you're talking about. Low yeah. bar, Low bar does refer to where you put the, back, the bar on your back, 
but it also refers right. to which of the hip joint or the knee joint breaks first. So a low bar, you break at the hips first. The high bar, you break at the knees first. So in that regard, to me, I believe that I'm more of a hybrid squat because both probably break at the same time because that fits my leverage the best. If a powerlifter would look right. at my squat, you would not qualify it as a low bar. An Olympic weightlifter would not qualify it as a high bar. It's, it's really an right. hybrid because it fits right. my style the best. Yeah. I'm somewhat similar. I'm not quite as low as what you see on the Internet, but definitely not high. So it's, it's, it's more towards the lower end of the scale, but it's not quite as low. Because if it goes too low, I feel like it's going to slip off my back. You know, so there's, yeah, the, there's yeah, a yeah. perfect position where it gets you, – you pull your traps together, and it just fits snug in there. But if it goes a little bit lower, sometimes if I, I – I notice I have to wear a certain kind of shirt. If I wear a shirt which has really smooth material, it's hard to keep the bar in place. Has to be a little bit rougher material, or I have to put chalk on the bar, and that allows me to get it into that perfect area, so it doesn't move at all when I'm squatting. Otherwise, it's starting to slide a little bit. Yeah, I get that because I always wear like a, a football game jersey when I'm when I'm training, so it's it's a slippery material. Huh. So I really have to keep my back tight. Right, right. It feels very uncomfortable when you first do it, but. It's, once now now it's it's my preferred way of of squatting. I'll probably switch back to high bar at some point just to do what you said, the opposite of what you said. I need more quad quads are definitely not one of my more well developed areas, so it would behoove me to to take it back up to high bar and have more of a different alignment. So I'm emphasizing that area more. Yeah, or a front squat or a zercher squat. Both versions would be actually really good for someone okay. with long limbs. Someone with long limbs Makes and sense. a quad deficiency, the zercher. And the front squat really helped them to maintain that upright position uh, while being able to overload the quad without having any issues. Right. So what about sissy squat? What about sissy squats and leg extensions? Do you ever use those in your programs? Uh, leg extension, no, um, never. Uh, I, I guess I'm not. I, I don't think there's a worthless exercise out there, uh, but it, I, I don't think that. Quads are that hard to activate. Even those who have lacking right. quadriceps, it's not really an issue of muscle activation like the glutes would be or the lats. Right. Lats and glutes, to me, they, they, these two muscles, often when they're weak, it's oftentimes because people have a hard time recruiting them. So using isolation work for these muscles would normally really work. Quadriceps, very rarely would it be an activation issue. Uh, I think that the problem right. would be more, again, body type, so you are more of a hip squatter. So the, the muscle being stretched the most is the muscle being recruited the most. So if, if because of your leverage, right. the, 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 the glutes get uh, stretched more when you're squatting, then the, they will take over and the quads will not work as much. So that, that's why like a front squat or a front squat with the heels elevated would really help you target those quadriceps. Now, if the person really has bad uh, quadricep recruitment, meaning that the okay, very simple test, can you squeeze your quad? I mean, if you can just sit there and squeeze your quads, you don't have recruitment issues. I mean, ask anybody right. or a regular person, all right, squeeze your lat. I mean, you and I can do that because we have a good mind-muscle connection, but most people cannot right. voluntarily recruit their lats That's a, or a recruit right. their glutes and have a hard time. Uh, but but if you can squeeze those quads, then you don't have a recruitment issues, in my opinion. Uh, so leg extension, very rarely will I use them. I, I will use them with bodybuilders, 
uh, if they really need to emphasize the vastus medialis, I will do leg extension with the feet turned out slightly. Uh, but I, I'm not a huge fan. I'm not against them, but I, it's just not a tool that I use myself or with clients a lot. Right. Uh, I, 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 right. I prefer to use higher, higher yield exercises. Right. Makes sense. I like to flare my lats when I'm walking the dogs, not to intimidate people, just to work on lat recruitment. Yeah, I, it's, I, I, often, I often do that, but to <laughs> me it's more like squeezing them. I, I squeeze them in, <laughs> but I, of course, I'm not trying to intimidate it. You remember I, w- when we gave a seminar together in Portland, uh, I talked yeah. about like, yeah, sure. uh, the posture, saying, well, I, when I go in the bars, I flare my lats. It, it's not because I want to look <laughs> good, it's because I'm practicing my clean. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> of course, if I, if I try to do that to look intimidating, well, I, I'm walking three pugs. So that pretty much like <laughs> that, yeah. the all intimidation intimidation factor goes right up the the window right there. You know, I, I'm I'm gonna send you a picture. <laughs> I'm um, uh, every now and then we dog sit uh, a few of our friends because we were, my wife and I are a member of uh, a Facebook group for pug owners, and we we oh, are okay. known at pardon. So, so we are known as the, the dog sitters for people who go on vacation. So at one time, I have a picture. We, we okay. had for a week six pugs at the house. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. You know, I, yeah. I, I had my ideal life. I would have probably like 20 dogs, honestly. <laughs> yeah, you'd have to be on. I got a dog over here that's a... She's a herder dog, right? She's a border collie mix, probably yeah. a border collie Queensland healer. That's what we think she is. So she's got herding instincts. She's always trying to grab the back of the legs of other dogs. She's always looking around the backyard you know, for her territory and all that. So someone like that would do great in a farm. Now, if you have that many dogs, yeah. you would have to be on some. If I had that many dogs at this house, it would be chaos. I mean, it would, I, it would just go nuts. Here. But, but yeah. the cool thing, though, is that uh, when, when I walk the dogs, it's always at a, an old military fort. So we can actually walk the okay. dog without a leash. So uh, we, you can oh, go in the cool. trenches, you can go in the fort. Like it's, it's awesome. There's a wood, you can go in the woods. So there's like 20, 30 dogs there. It's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, where, where I live, you can walk your dogs. You're not, technically, you're not allowed to walk your dogs off leash, but a lot of us have our dogs off leash because it's a park within the neighborhood. So it's away from yeah. any major street. The problem is there are a lot of coyotes out here, really? and I'm not worried about coyotes. Yeah, I'm not worried about coyotes attacking my dogs because I have bigger dogs, but what I'm worried about is them chasing after a coyote, which is what happened the other day. Right. My dog, Raina, the, the border <laughs> collie, she, saw, she was off leash, just running around, having a good time, and then she saw a coyote off in the distance. Now, I saw the coyote first, so I was trying to get to her before she saw the coyote because I knew what would happen. She saw the coyote. She went hauling ass after the coyote. Fortunately, the coyote took off. Coyotes are not confrontational. They're not violent. You know, they're not going to, they're not going to pick a fight with your dogs per se, unless they're in a pack. So that's the fear is yeah. here's a solitary coyote. Reina's running after this coyote. Man, they're, they're hauling ass and I can't run after them because I have my other two dogs, one of whom is really small, right? It's a Maltese. I can't just let him off leash and run after Raina because there could be another coyote around and he's easy picking. They will attack him. So, I mean, he, she runs off after him. I try to keep an eye on where they're going so I can catch up. Eventually I catch up to them and I managed to get her back. But my fear was that this coyote was going to lead her to a pack and that's where yeah. they will attack because they attack in numbers. Yeah. yeah. 
it would seem like there's strategy. Like there's one that just brings people in the in the trap, right? Right. That's exactly what they do. And but mo- I'm not worried about whenever I see a solitary coyote, I'm not worried, especially if my dogs are on a leash. I'm not worried about them coming after us because I don't know if there's ever been a case of that. If there is, it's extremely rare. But a lot of people out of here have these real paranoia of coyotes. They, they really just don't understand what they're talking about. Some people just make up shit, too. We had this one guy in the neighborhood who put up this stupid ass post. Yeah, this one guy put up a post on the next door, right, the neighborhood website. And he's like, oh, yeah, watch out for the coyotes. I was I was jogging with my German shepherd, and these two coyotes started chasing after us. So we had to run as fast as possible to get away from them. And we waved down a, a driver by and jumped in his car just in the nick of time. Jeez. And all these people were <laughs> responding as if they believed this bullshit. I was like, here's the problem. And I didn't bother posting. I don't waste my time with this. But as I read it, I'm laughing. I go, number one, if a coyote's chasing you, you're fucked. <laughs> you know, they're fast as hell, man. You're not going anywhere. If those if those two coyotes want to catch you, they're going to catch you before you have a chance to even run. You could be you could be running as fast as you think you're running. That's a jog for them. Dude, that's number one. Like number two, they're not going to run after you. Like, not the great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> number two, they're not going to run after you. They don't do that. They they might have been running in the same direction, which they probably would have just ran by you. I've had that happen to me before, where I'm walking my dogs, and all of a sudden I see what looks like two huskies running by. And then you look closer, it's coyotes, and they're just running by to go where they're going. They're not stopping. So that's a possibility. And number two, who the hell is going to pull over and pick you up? You know? <laughs> you're going to wave down some stranger like, hey, man, hey, man. No one's going to stop. And then you're just going to jump in the car without an explanation. <laughs> the, the whole story was so stupid. But a lot of people believe this. And now a lot of people think, oh, these, these coyotes are a bigger problem than they are. I go, look, they're not a problem. They're out here to hunt rabbits. That's what they're doing. They keep to themselves for the most part. They're shy. They're only going to attack your dog if it's a small dog and it's a dog off leash where you're not close by. It has happened. There have been people's dogs who've been killed before, but it's always a small dog. The dog was always, let's say, 10, 20 feet away from them, and they weren't paying attention. 100% of the time, that's always the case. But people, when they are scared, they just lose the capacity to think properly. Here in, uh, oh, yeah. in Quebec, we had uh, we had two pit bulls attack uh, attacks, and all of a sudden people started freaking out about pit bulls, right? So I'm walking my right, dogs. Keep in right. mind they are pugs, right? Pugs. So <laughs> and there's this old lady in the park, and she's super scared because the dogs are without a leash, and she asks, "Are they pit bulls? They're fucking pugs." <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> and it's probably the least dangerous dog in the world oh, of mankind. <laughs> Yeah, they're right. baby right. pit bulls, right? But they're already pretty dangerous. Better stay away. <laughs> <laughs> and what's funny is all, all the pit bulls in my neighborhood are the best behaved dogs in the neighborhood. They're off leash and they are extremely well trained. So I've never, I've never had a problem with a pit bull attack. I've had other dogs that are hostile, but they've never been pit bulls. Yeah, like dachshunds and, and go ahead go and chihuahuas. Like yeah. those are the those are the little terrorists right there. <laughs> but no one questions no one questions them. It's like every time That's I take right. my dogs out, it's always right. a little chihuahua I was trying to like buck up to my English bulldog, and he's looking like really. <laughs> it's like this dog. I love <laughs> English bulldogs are awesome. Oh yeah. Yeah. Stubborn, but yeah. If I, if, if I get a, a fourth dog, that's going to be an English bulldog. They are so awesome. 
Yeah, yeah, they're really the nice. Thing dogs. is, you gotta really, you gotta really take care of them too. You know, most people are surprised. Like, oh my dog, your English bulldog is so lean, and you know, he's not like most of them. I say, yeah, he doesn't have all those sinus issues and and breathing problems and all that. But his diet is different than if most dogs. We don't feed him just kibbles and all right. that other crap. And I, I exercise him. We walk three times a day. You know, right. most like important thing. Right multiple there. times a day. I have him walking up to the garage, you know, the parking garage. We go up the ramp. We go up the stairs. So they're like, man, he's so built and so stout. I'm like, yeah, dude. I'm like, you can tell a lot about a dog by their owner. You know, I'm looking at these overweight right. guys with their fat English bulldogs, and I'm then looking at us. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, we we move, man. I, so I'm like, I, I mean, it's very simple to take care of them. It's not that hard at all. But again, just got to get out, man. Don't just walk them to take them to take a dump and then go back inside. He's like, nah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you got to earn the next meal, buddy boy. So it's well, you know, what's interesting is that with, with daily activity, it's been people always recommend, you know, get 30 minutes of exercise every day. And that's not even close to what you need for no. health purposes. Like Dr. Michael Greger said, the study that people are referring to said that you need 90 minutes of exercise. It doesn't have to be intense exercise, but 90 minutes Just of moderate exercise for the health benefits. But no one, no one put no one proliferated that information because they knew no one would follow it. Most people aren't even getting that in a week, let alone a day. But I try to walk the dogs. I I don't even try. I do it every day. I walk them four miles, five miles a day. So we get 90 minutes easy. And Mm. I I look forward to it, honestly. That's time for me to think. My best ideas come out. I'm getting fresh air. Yeah, I look forward to it. It's not something where I'm like, okay, let's get it in. No, I, I, one of my, uh, I was thinking about one of my friends. He's a IFBB pro bodybuilder, right? He has two pit bulls, and he, he, he trains them like they pull weighted sleds and they eat raw meat. <laughs> it's pretty yeah. awesome because that is Jack, right? So he's walking his two pit bulls, one in each hand. It's, it's, it's quite an impressive sight, like super muscular, very lean pit bulls, like from the <laughs> top breeders in the U.S. Like awesome. I mean, that, that's a pretty cool sight. Yeah. It's like something out of a cartoon. Dogs look like their owners. It's like something out of a cartoon. He Man, that's like He Man and his his tiger pet. (laughs) (laughs) But most people I know who, (laughs) yeah, I'm sure. Most people who know, most people who who go to the park with their dogs in this neighborhood, they go there to socialize with other people and then they go home. You know, they're not actually walking their dogs several miles. So they're not getting the benefits for themselves. Is where I'm going. And one time, one of the guys I know, he goes, hey, you're going, he was like, Where, which direction are you going? I'm like, I'm going this way. So I was like, yeah, come on, go ahead, come along with me. We'll have a conversation. He's an older guy, very nice guy. And we're walking around and we just kept going. He's like, Jesus, man, where are we going? <laughs> We've been out here for an hour. We're not even close to getting back to the park where we started. And we're walking up this long hill. And all of a sudden, he stopped talking because he's out of breath. He had to concentrate because he's not used to this. And he's like, he's like, wow. He's like, you do this every day. I was like, yeah, I, I do. The, I usually do more than this every day. I'm just in a rush today. And he's like, wow, that, that makes a big difference. So if you really want to get the benefits, I mean, I think it's great that people take their dogs to the park. I'm not diminishing that. It's great that there's a lot of people don't even do that. So I'm glad that they get them out and they socialize with other dogs. But you're not getting the benefits for yourself is where I'm going. You're just standing around chit chatting with someone about the fucking news and what dumbass thing that Trump say today. That's all negative energy. You know, that's not doing anything useful for you. Yeah, that's yeah, why most I try to take my dogs. I try to take mine out of non-peak yeah. times. So, because I don't, I try to avoid as many yeah. people as possible. So, because I don't want to talk, I'm, I'm spending this time with my dogs. I don't want to sit in and talk I, to I'm you with the dog. I always walk. So I go. Ahead. <laughs> yeah. 
the last time I took them out was like at like it used to be like midnight or one o'clock in the morning because there's no one out and I love it. It's beautiful. So it's just like okay, I don't have to worry about that. I don't like going around six o'clock when everybody's off work here at this apartment complex. So then they're all trying to come to the dog park and, and then they they have these dogs that won't even let your dog use the restroom. They want to play the entire time. So I was like okay. I gotta find these off-peak hours to get away from you people. The middle of the day is usually <laughs> the easiest. Because everyone has quote-unquote real jobs. <laughs> you know, I'm here at home, right? So it's real like around like one o'clock, two o'clock. I'm good, or like eleven o'clock because they're all at work. But it's just that evening time. I gotta really pick it. You know, just to stay away from people because I don't want to talk to you, man. Like, quit talking so much. Or then they're trying to come up and like. <laughs> One thing that pisses me off when they come petting my, trying to pet my dog on the head, I'm like, that is not how you're supposed to approach a dog. You don't pat them on the head. You you, you rub them under the chin or under the belly, especially for a dog like a, a English bulldog or something like that. I'm like, I said, how would you like to just beat you on top of your head? You know, when they see you like, oh, how you doing? Hey, buddy. Boom, boom, boom. Just start patting them on top of the head. But, but let know? me guess. I, I try want to be pet on the, on the belly either, though. You know, it just it really depends. It depends on the breed. Some of them like that's I'm that's about how they that's how they'll come back. Especially usually, like, usually you let them smell your you usually you let them smell your hand and then you know you gently yeah and look and you look away them from somewhere. them. You ignore them yeah. at first, you know, so they can you know because first they're just curious, and then you know once they check you out or whatever else, then it's just like and and also. You know, everybody wants to talk about, you know, having having consent with human beings. You need to have consent with other people's dogs, too. You need to ask somebody, hey, can I pet him? Because you don't know. Yeah. You know, you're just like, oh, my God, look at, him, look at the dog. He's like, okay, you're freaking him out. You just freaked me out. <laughs> so I was like, you need to ask, you know, ask for my consent. I mean, he may have issues, man, with humans or whatever else. You don't know what, because we have rescue, so you don't know what they've been through. So always ask consent. Right. Like, hey, do you mind if I pet him? Is it okay? And then let them explain to you, like, what's the best way to do it. Don't just assume, like, oh, let me beat your dog on top of the head and tell him hello. <laughs> it's, like, it's just not that simple, man. People, people never ask for a consent. Though. I mean, I remember I used to work out in Santa Monica with kettlebells, and in between sets, people would literally just walk up and grab the kettlebell without asking. Grab a kettlebell. Exactly. <laughs> drive me crazy. Yeah, they, they wouldn't even give me a warning that they're about to. They wouldn't even come over and be like, oh, hey, what's that? And then go for it so I could at least stop them. They would just come right over. And I'm, I'm talking like old ladies. I'm talking all kinds of people where <laughs> California is the most litigious state in the country where someone could blow out their back and then sue me. Like, oh, you shouldn't have had that out there. <laughs> like, no, you shouldn't have picked it up. It's private property. You didn't respect that. Yeah. One time I had this home. One time I was before 80 pound kettlebells came out, I had 70s and I duct taped these plate weights to it to make them 80s huh. for presses. And in between sets, this homeless guy walks up to them, grabs the 80, tries to clean it because he saw me doing that and totally had no technique. So the whole thing goes flying off falls on the grass, the plates go flying off, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I just, I, I flipped my lid on this guy, I was so mad, because now I can't, now I can't do the workout, because the tape flew, the tape's torn up, the plate flew yeah. off, and then he looked at me as if I was being unreasonable for being mad, he's like, well, just show me how to do it then, man, you know, you don't have to be such an asshole about it, I was like, no, this is private property, I'm not here to give you free kettlebell sessions, <laughs> <laughs> Don't you have more pressing things you for, man? <laughs> yeah, you should be picking up food in the the trash can. You know, not picking up you know my kettlebell. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of picking up kettlebells, uh, Christian, what what are let's let's talk. About, we can end with what are your favorite abdominal exercises? Uh, to be honest, uh, I honestly believe that the abdominals 
are best built, again, by the big basics as well as loaded carries. I do tons of loaded carries. The Zercher carry is by far my favorite exercise. Personally, I use a strongman log because it puts the, the center of, of mass of the weight a bit further forward, which triggers uh, the abdominals more. So I will take that strongman log and I would just walk with it, keeping the abdominals tight. There's not no exercise in the world that will hit your abdominals as much as these. Of course, if people do them by compensating, by leaning back, so that the back support the weight, then it, it just won't work. Right. But Zercher carries, in, for me, uh, sometimes I will e- even hang kettlebells with uh, elastic bands from side to side to increase the oscillation. Uh, that would be awesome. Right. Farmers walk are awesome, but again, most people don't do them properly. They, can, they try to go as fast as possible instead, to, instead of staying as tight. As possible. So far more <laughs> That's right. walk. We're trying to get it over with quickly. No, no, exactly. <laughs> speed walking. Yeah, that's not the purpose. Yeah, right. And also, right. Uh, the weights are the weights are about to fall out of their hands. Like, oh, let me just get there real fast. They're on their fingertips, about to fall out. <laughs> no, it doesn't train anything when you're doing that, right? Uh, and also, right. Uh, right. I like Zercher squats. Zercher squats crap my abdominals like crazy. Now, the thing is that if someone has problems recruiting their abdominals and of course if if you can't even contract your abdominals like if, if you imagine you're getting getting get a, a punch in your stomach if you can't even right. keep your abdominals tight then of course doing those zercher carries or farmer's walk won't do anything for your abs because you're going to compensate using other muscles so sometimes you will need direct abdominal work uh, just to learn to recruit the abdo- those abdominals like of course like the uh, loaded carries would be a level three exercise, right? Then you would have right. um, like the dragon flags. You would have the dragon flags would be probably a level three also because it's pretty high skill and requires a lot of strength. But you also have like level yeah. two. You'd have uh, planks. Uh, you would have um, side planks. Any exercises that require lots of core stabilization. And on a level one, right. you would have actual isolating exercise like crunches. Uh, like cable crunches, mm-hmm. low skill movement. Right. I don't use them a lot, but if someone does not have the motor skill to recruit the abdominals, then those isolation exercises will be a tool to learn to recruit your abdominals. But as soon as you can recruit them properly, then you need to switch to the loaded carries, to the dragon flags, to the uh, hanging leg raises, stuff that really challenges right. your core in a, more of a stabilization action. But if someone right. cannot even contract their abdominals and you're doing these exercises, you're going to do more arm than good. So there is a place for right. isolation abdominal or abs work, especially when you don't have the motor skill to recruit them. Abdominals are probably my strongest muscle group and I very rarely train them directly, but I snatch, I clean, yeah. uh, I squat, I deadlift, I do farmer's walk, I do loaded zercher uh, carries. But right. previous to that, I did lots of abdominal, abdominal work. One approach I really like, uh, I took that from uh, the Cuban Olympic weightlifters, is it early in the training phases, I will superset uh, an isolation exercise for abdominals with a squat. So the, the abdominal work is done before the squat. 
but not to a level that creates tons of fatigue. I'm just practicing recruiting my abdominals so that my mind-muscle connection will be developed so when I'm squatting, I can focus on keeping those abdominals tight. Uh, sometimes we yeah. even go one step further. We do one isolation exercise, the squat, then we finish with uh, an isometric action like a plank, like a, a dragon flag hold, uh, anything that will challenge the abdominals in an isometric fashion, for example. So that would be a one way right. of integrating the abdominals. But just like everything, isolation work can be useful, but mostly when you have problem recruiting a muscle. Once you are capable mm -hmm. of recruiting that muscle, look for the big basics to do the job. Right. I look at dragon flags as a sign that your abs are strong rather than yep. as an exercise to build ab strength. Yep. Because Absolutely. the first time someone showed me how to do them, I was able to do them. And I was able to do them based on the ab strength I already have, as yep. not as a result of working up to it. So when people ask me, how'd you work up to it? I don't even really know what to tell them because I could do it the first time I ever saw it. I can just give them theoretical answers such as, okay, just work on the negative, work on controlling this. But most people I know who try to do the dragon flag, who can't do it, they have minimal success. So it sounds like if they got stronger doing other things, squat, deadlift, and so forth, learning how to recruit the abs, they would have more success than actually practicing the exercise, in this case, the I think that flag. those who have a hard time with dragon flags lack in the capacity to maintain those abdominals tight during an isometric action. Uh, right. They... Just doing reps after reps of crushers won't do it. You need to learn to right. maintain that tension, maxim maximal tension. Because when you do right. like crunches, cable crunches, you, you do not have maximum tension. You have some tension, but not maximum. Right. Right? Only in the big basics or the loaded carries can you have maximal tension over 20, 30 seconds. And that's the type of right. you need to excel in those dragon flags and other similar skills. Right? Again, the, right. the isolation work is only a tool to learn to contract those muscles. Then you need the big basics, the loaded carries, to increase the capacity to maintain that contraction and produce maximum tension without release. Right. Because if you do reps, you learn what? You learn to do tension one second, relax one second. Tension one second, relax one second. You never learn to right. maintain that tension for 10, 20, 30 seconds in a row, which is what you need right. out of your core. Because if you do a set of deadlifts or a squat, if you're doing five reps, then it's going to last at least 20 seconds. So you cannot right. release that tension at any point during that 20 seconds because you will lose strength when that happens. Strength will leak out from your body. So you need to maintain. Right. If you relax your core between reps on squat, you are doing yourself a disservice. You cannot perform optimally oh, yeah. if you release your tension. So you need to be able to maintain it for at least 20 seconds if you're doing sets of five. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Glute ham raises, I even find that. People who can't do it, it's, it's not even lack of strength. It's lack of the ability to recruit the hamstrings and glutes, certainly Absolutely. at the right time. Yeah, yeah they, don't know how to, they don't know how to contract their hamstrings. So when I, when I say contract your hamstrings and then you tap their hamstrings, nothing's happening. <laughs> They're not contracting it. And the thing is that if your glutes are not contracting in a maximum tension and maintain, you can't fire those hamstrings properly on the glute ham raise. You need right. the glute right. to be an anchor point to produce strength from. So you really need to mm. get that strong glute contraction and maintain it. It cannot just fire and release. 
if you fire and release, that the, the hamstrings will not be able to work optimally on that exercise. It needs to be contracted and maintained for the hamstrings to be able to do their job in that exercise. Right. That's why it's such a great right. movement because it, it teaches you to maintain glute tension as an anchor point to use that to produce hamstrings activation, which is a skill needed for pretty much every sport. Yeah. It's one of those exercises. It's amazing how many people can't do it. And I'm not talking about novices. I'm talking about people who've worked out for quite a while. I mean, at the gym I go to, most people use the glute ham raise to do sit-ups. Yeah. I've seen maybe two people do actual glute ham, or, or sit-ups or back extensions. Back extension, actual yeah. glute ham raise. Yeah, you rarely see that. Well, most people don't know about them. And to be honest, that's uh, also again, true. They, yeah. They, they lack the strength to do it. So if they try it, they fail the first time. So they don't take time to learn to master the exercise. Because really, honestly, right. unless most people, when they first try a glute am raise, they will fail, even even if they're strong, because they just don't know the, 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 the recruitment pattern. Where uh, When does each muscle come into play? What's the coordination? What's the timing? How do you do the exercise? It's like a, a snatch. Right. I'm doing a snatch, right. but I'm probably not going to have success the first time. So I'm, I'm going to stop doing that exercise because I'm not good at it. Well, no, the, the glute ham raise, it doesn't take long to be good at it if you apply yourself to it, if you already have some strength. The same thing could be said with pull-ups. Right. Most people try pull-ups. They say, I can, I can do lat pull-downs with 200. I'm, I'm 180, so I can do pull-ups. <laughs> then they try a pull-up, and right. it looks like someone's having a, like a seizure or something, right? Uh, <laughs> but they do have the strength. But there's a big difference between the lat pull-down and the pull-up because you have to control your body. In the lat pull-down, most people keep the whole body relaxed. It actually helps you get those lats firing. Right. But in the lat pull-down, yeah. if you lose core tension, if you lose glute tension, then you you will not be able to apply maximum strength on the bar. Then the second issue is that right. most people don't have the grip strength to do pull-ups properly. Mm. If you don't have grip That's strength, right. then you cannot transfer the barbell that will move your weight up. I mean, if you can't even... How many people that are actually pretty well built cannot simply hang themselves from that pull-up bar for 20 seconds? Yeah. Just ask them. Yeah. Just not even at the top. Just hang yourself and uh, just hang at the bottom. Most people will lose their grip before 20 seconds. Well, 20 seconds is what on pull-ups? Four reps? Five reps? Even if you have the back strength yeah. to do it, I mean, you're probably going to get two or three reps because on that those last two reps your grip is too weak to transfer the force to the bar. So you need to be able to hang from that bar for 60, 90 seconds if you want to be able to do five or eight good pull-ups. That's a, and that's a starting point. But people don't train the right. grip. But if you do deadlift, if you do farmer's walk, then you don't want to have a problem. That's right. What about What do you think about kipping pull-ups? you have an opinion on that? I do. I actually wrote an article about that a while ago. To me, kipping pull-ups uh, it, it's not something you should do in training, even in CrossFit. I believe it's something yeah. if if you if you do CrossFit, you can do kipping pull-ups in what I would call the peaking or the pre-competition phase. So, for example, the Open are coming up or the regionals, then you can or you do competitive uh, competition, then you can do kipping pull-ups. Kipping pull-ups are a strategy to go faster in a competition. What? It's not a crutch for those not capable of doing actual pull-ups. That's a problem. Right. In my opinion, right. if you cannot do 
five, at least, at least, at the bare minimum, at least five to eight high-quality strict pull-ups. You have no business doing keeping pull-ups. It will just mess up your shoulder joint. I mean, my, my wife, yeah. that was one of her problems. She's a big CrossFit girl, so, but she doesn't like training. She loves, she loves CrossFit, but not actual strength training. Uh, she would always right. injure her shoulder. She was pretty strong on the clean, pretty strong on the because she's a great natural athlete, lots of coordination. But she would always mess up her shoulders. At one point, uh, she, w- she was starting to train for the photo shoot because she did the photo shoot with me, and we trained in the gym together. Mm-hmm. She would do lots of cleans, lots of pull-ups. And at the end, she went from not being able to do one strict pull-up to being able to do two strict bar muscle-ups, of course, doing 10-plus. Mm-hmm. Strict chin up. Yeah. Uh, when she went back to her CrossFit, then kidding pull ups were super easy, bar muscle up were super easy, ring muscle up were super easy. She t- it took her maybe right. like a week to get those skills back. Uh, but my point is, kidding yeah. pull ups are fine as a competition strategy because the rules of competition allow it. But it is not a training exercise. And if right. you use it in your training, you better be sure that you have a lot of strict strength, especially eccentric strength, because people do keeping pull-ups the way they do it. It's a shock because they actually accelerate the eccentric to catch the stretch reflex. But if you don't have eccentric right. strength, then you're going to pull something or, or create uh, rotator cuff issues or shoulder impingement. So to me, again, to just to reiterate, keeping pull-ups are fine. As a competition strategy, you go faster, but they are not a training tool. You can do it in training as part of your sport-specific practice, but it's not something you should use to build muscle or strength. Right. Just as pull-ups will carry over to kipping more than the other way around, just as yeah. military press will carry over to push press more than the other way around. People often use push presses as a way to lift more weight as the military press to no avail because you're... You're accelerating through the hardest part. Yeah, the hardest part of the military press you're not even working on when you do push presses. Exactly. You're learning to avoid it. Right. You're conscious. I think kipping kipping pull-ups are – oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, I was going to say I think kipping pull-ups are great. Kipping pull-ups transfer to dry humping, I think, more than pull-ups do. So for those of you out there that engage in that activity, I think you'll – I always refer to kipping as vertical dry humping. So if you were, that's one of the things you enjoy. <laughs> no, a, a highly skilled kipping pull-up, like a butterfly kipping pull-up, when it's done by uh-huh. a high-level athlete, it can actually look pretty good. I'm not saying it's effective at building muscle. It's not. It's not. It's not effective yeah. at building muscle. Maybe for someone who wants to work up to a – for someone who wants to – has a goal of doing muscle-ups, it makes sense, right, right. to get that acceleration, that momentum. No, exactly, but it, it's not something that, that will lead to muscle growth. It, my, the the right. only benefit I can see would actually be grip strengthening. But the thing is, mm. it's really worth messing up your shoulders to get that small benefit right. where you have some regular yeah. yeah. You could do pull-ups with a weight belt and just hang, right, to work on your grip it's strength. Totally, exa- exactly. Yeah, That's it. one of the best ways to grip strength. Yeah. Well, weighted pull-ups in general, I find. Well, that's one thing I made a point of doing when I did small ups is I didn't want to lose my grip strength for deadlifts, so I did a lot of weighted pull-ups. 
Yeah. And that helps keep that grip because your your lower body strength is going to be maintained, if not actually improve from low bar yeah. squats back to deadlifts. But if your grip is weak, then you're not going to be ripping anything off the ground. I believe that the deadlift is one of those lifts that can actually be increased without training it. Providing that oh, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. As no long doubt. as you have no a doubt proper technique. It. If you have a good technique and you have a good lower body, and good lats and good, and good grip strength, then your deadlift can go up without even training it. I think that people do too much deadlift. It's the exercise that has the greatest impact on the nervous system. Uh, oh, yeah. Because it, it high, frequency, high frequency deadlifts don't make much sense. I think that that's just a, a recipe. Unless, you, I guess, you're going light, you're trying to improve technique. Yeah. But I, I find with deadlifts, you could, I could deadlift once twice a month and make progress, but I could never, I could, I definitely couldn't squat twice a month and make progress. Certainly not overhead press twice a month and make progress. If you, the, the overhead press, in my opinion, is the exercise that responds the best to high frequency. Uh, I'm doing overhead pressing uh, five days a week at the no moment. No doubt. And so far, yeah. so far, every session, I'm stronger. You know, I, I, of course, the higher the frequency, the less hard you push your set. That's a given. Oh, yeah. if, I, if I were to try to beat my record at every session, then I would have problems. But as long as you right. are conservative and focus on form, then high frequency will work. But overhead press is the movement that needs the highest frequency, along with the clean and jerk and the, and the snatch. The deadlift right. is the big lift yeah, that, that needs the less frequency. No doubt. I mean, Pavel's Grease in the Groove program, I always found that worked really well for Military presses, in my case, I did a lot of overhead kettlebell presses and pull-ups. I could do it six days a week, nowhere close to failure. So, for example, on pull-ups, let's say you can do 12 reps as a max. You would never do more than six reps in your practice sets. Yeah, yeah. You do it. Just, I mean, if you have a pull-up, if you work at home and you have a pull-up bar at home, every time you walk by, it's just bang out half what your max set number is. I actually use that, that, just, that uh, strategy like that with a CrossFit athlete I work with. His big problem was strict, uh-huh. uh, strict um, uh, handstand push-ups. Uh, and I, right, I use the, right. the groove program. And the first, okay, is the maximum strict handstand he could do at the beginning of the program was six. At the end of the first phase, which is uh, which was four weeks, he was able to do eighteen strict handstand wow. push-ups. And at the end of the wow. phase, second phase, which was another four weeks, he was doing 23 deficit and strength push-up. So on those two wow. big uh, 45, yeah, it was uh, well the guy the game made it to the CrossFit Games. I mean, we were talking about a guy who can deadlift 660, uh, who can clean 400, and who can snatch 305. Uh, so he's he's definitely and wow. he's not he's not muscular. That that's the worst. That's the worst thing. But he has the strongest core and grip strength I've ever seen in my life. But he's like wow. two, like six six foot two hundred, but like not muscular. You would look at him and you would never think he's a world class athlete, but he's super strong. <laughs> but that that's where it's yeah, I can do I can do all but I can do all but three of those things that he can do there. Well, he, well you can't do kipping pull ups. <laughs> no, I can't do <laughs> My, my my bad joke was I can't do any of those things, but that was just just my failed clever way of of saying that. No, yeah, those are those are really impressive numbers, though. Those are really good numbers. But but he, he's a free guy. Mm-hmm. What because when oh, yeah. he started training, no doubt. When he started tra- when he started training, and we're talking about like after one year. Okay, the first year was just like 
bullshit like gym workout, he was deadlifting over 500. Uh, his, his brother, his kid brother, when he was 16, he could snatch 245. Uh, he could wow. train 315. Or just uh, like a freak genetics. They, they are from yeah. uh, like a part of Quebec that just lives on farms and stuff like that. So just build for heavy work. Very like, amazing oh, yeah. athlete. Some people are really gifted like that. I remember I read Mike Tyson's. I was, I was either, I think it was a biography. I don't think it was an autobiography. But anyway, the first time he ever bench pressed, I think he was a teenager, and he did 245 15 times, something yeah. like that. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy to think about. People train their whole life and never get close to that. And that was just the first time, just messing around. Yeah, it was, uh, there was this one guy I trained. Was, uh, he made it to the pro in football, but only in the Canadian Football League because he was too short. He was an offensive lineman. Uh, right. He bench pressed over 500. So people kept asking me, well, what did you do for him for his bench press? I want to bench press my kid. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that guy, I, I knew him was he, when he was in high school because he was like two years younger than me. At 14, he was bench pressing 315. At 16, wow. he was overhead pressing 315 strict. So that wow. guy could have just lifted rocks. I mean, I, I saw him uh, <laughs> about six months ago because he, were, he, he coached high school football next to my house. And I, I saw him and uh, I gave him all my... Um, my, my uh, my garage gym equipment because I, I'm buying a new gym and he wanted to start training again. He had not trained at all in eight years. Okay, in eight years. He was still 285. I saw him two weeks later. How's the training going? Well, uh, not bad. I bench press uh, 405 for eight reps after eight years of not <laughs> training. Just like, wow. just a free tablet. Yeah. If I took that long from working out, you would think I've never worked out. If I took a year off from training, you'd be like, huh, you actually used to work out? You don't look like you ever worked out. <laughs> Didn't you used to be Christian Thibodeau? <laughs> yeah, I, would, I would look like what some people, someone put up a post about keto that was really funny. It goes, you know, everyone starts off on keto diets the same way. You lose body fat and then you end up looking like a crack addict, you know, if you stay on it long enough. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> You're about as logical as a crack addict also. Same thought process. Yeah, most people are not going to last long enough to get to that point, fortunately. But if you, uh, you stick it out, no matter what, I, I, let's say you're I, mentally I tough. I tried it this year again. I mean, I, I I did it when I was younger. I tried it again this yeah. year. Uh, I had to stop after five weeks. I mean, even the first week, my blood pressure shot up like 20 points. Just like crazy. Wow. I think I think it can be done okay for a couple of weeks. You know, for let's say you have you you just want to lean out, you want to dry out for a photo shoot or something like that, or for, for a UFC fighter trying to make weight towards the last couple of weeks. You know, I think there's ways to do it that makes sense. Like Jerry Branham, he said that when he was competing in bodybuilding and he would get close to peaking for a competition, he found that keto allowed him to eat a low calorie diet and not be hungry all the time. Yeah. So if he did higher carbohydrate, he'd be hungry all the time, and it would be very ah. mentally draining to stick it out. But with keto, he found that he could eat a lot less, and for short periods of time, he wouldn't be hungry. So that allowed him to sustain the lower calorie threshold for the desired outcome. Yeah, but what the benefit of a diet is only that I'm not hungry when I'm super low calories. To me, it's really not that like worth it. 
I mean, I, I'm not. Oh yeah, and this is this will be a short run. This is this is not something for a long period of time. Just for let's say a couple of weeks before a competition. Yeah, I'm, obviously it's not something I do either. I'm, I don't believe in cutting out any macronutrient. You know, I think you need all three of them. But anyway, like all the recent studies have shown, and it, 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 going back to the basics, is that calorie deficit. You need two things, right? Uh, a, a sufficient protein intake and a calorie deficit or surplus, depending on your goal. And the origin right. of those calories don't make that much of a difference. Of course, you want to go with quality food choices just from a health perspective. But if the the, 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 the calories are equivalent and protein is equivalent, then it doesn't really matter if the calories come from carbs or fat or a combination of both right. as far as body right. composition is concerned. I'm not talking about health. I'm talking about body composition here. So it's really the big, right. big, big deal is really more protein as well as calorie balance. The thing is that with keto, most people find that it's hard to eat as much calorie uh, because it, it cuts your appetite. Uh, so right. the main reason, of course, you're losing all that water at first because you're cutting carbohydrates, so the weight will go down. But even then, the, the, the most of the initial fat loss will simply be because you're eating less calories total. But that's pretty much it. Right. Right. Well, great, man. Excellent. Time goes by fast. Great information as always. Any, anything you have coming up business-wise that you want to plug? Dude, I, I don't even have an idea what I'm doing tomorrow. I mean, I, that's why I have a, <laughs> like four personal assistants. <laughs> they have to take care of everything. But uh, I have lots of seminars this year, probably uh, like in about 30. Um, as wow. far as project or concern, I have like a big video shoot soon because we have like 60 new videos for the website to shoot as well as uh, some training programs coming up. But uh, yeah, it's, it's lots of good projects, but mostly it's seminars and stuff like that, which is pretty cool because that's what I love doing. I love, I love teaching, talking to people who are passionate about training. That's really what I'm all about. Yeah, well, you do a great job at it. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll send you a couple bottles of my testosterone booster. I think that you'll find that awesome. those, those crying, those, yeah, those crying bouts will will diminish rapidly. <laughs> well, that was my strategy. That was my strategy. I mean, I'm going to mention crying, and I mean, he's going to send me some freebies. That that's all I was doing. I've, 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 seen your, <laughs> I've seen your post on Twitter. I'll send you that. Going up like 200 points in the, in testosterone, something like that. That's pretty awesome. Oh yeah. Yeah, a lot of people have had yeah, a lot of people have had results like that. It's been, it's been really good. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you a whole bunch of stuff to try out. It'd be cool, cool to get your feedback. Well, especially now I'm 40. I mean, I'm I'm on a on a down slope now. I just want to keep feeling good. <laughs> then, then again, yeah, my, I mean, my, if you my, take, my, hmm? most most people are on the down slope when they pass 40, but not because they're passing 40, but because of what they did when they were under 20. You know, they've had 20 <laughs> years of crappy living. And then they hit 40 and it finally catches up with you. Well, you take care of yourself. When you get into your 40s, that's when you're going to hit your peak in terms of physical abilities. Like Mark Phillippe told me his best strength didn't happen until he was in his 40s. That's when he reached his peak of his physical abilities. And I think also it's a lot about mindset. A lot of people, oh, when no they're getting older, they say, I'm getting old, so I'm too old for this. So subconsciously, yeah. they expect not to improve. They, they think they right. can't that's hard. So it's not because you're getting older that you, you're not progressing. It's because you don't want to push yourself and you also have lowered your expectations. You expect to get right. worse and worse. 
Oh yeah, you're totally right. Well, people always say, you know, my my metabolism is lower now because I've gotten older. It's like it's not your metabolism is not lower; your activity level is. So your metabolism yeah, is lower as a result of that. Yeah, you're way more sedentary and your diet is crappy. You're watching way more TV. That's why your metabolic rate's lower, not because you just magically, not because it magically declined because you hit a certain age marker. Absolutely. And that's somewhat understandable. I mean, you have a family, you have a full-time job, stuff like that. So, of course, but everybody can make time. I mean, I I, I train doctors who work 80 hours a week and they find room to train uh, an hour and a half, five days a week. The one client I'm the most proud of in my whole life, and I, I train Olympians, I've trained pro athletes, and that one guy, okay, he was a father of six kids. He was 48. He had his own business. He was a programmer for, uh, like, robots and stuff that build cars and stuff like that. So he was traveling all the time, working 80, 90 hours a week, just crazy stuff. The guy, when he came in, he, looked, he was super out of shape, like the average out-of-shape Joe who eat crap all the time. Now, within a, a year, he was bench pressing 315, and he could do a front lever. So that's pretty awesome for, wow. my, for a guy that's that failed really bench press 135 the first time around. In my life, yeah, that's, that's really impressive. I mean, yeah, that's awesome. The biggest in the gym. So it's, it's guys like that, right? They, everybody can do that if they just make the right lifestyle change. Well, it's, re- it's really gratifying when anyone takes any of your advice in any context and has great results with it, and then they get back to you. Right. That's, I mean, that whether it's my whether it's my supplements or my videos or my courses or my book, anytime someone has said it's had a positive impact in their life in any way, that's that's really gratifying. It's really compelling. It makes you very motivated to stay the course and keep pushing further. Well, you know, the the only problem I have with your test booster, though, is that now that my wife's pregnant, I probably won't be getting as much as I normally would. So I, I'm not sure if I want to increase my testosterone and libido that much. <laughs> well, if you, I mean, if, if you buy, I have a special now. If you buy three bottles, you get a free flashlight just to take that part <laughs> into account. So I'll, make sure, <laughs> I'll make sure to include one of those. <laughs> and then that's, and then, actually, there's incremental benefit. If you buy 20 bottles, you get a free sex doll, real dolls. And uh, really? they have, <laughs> yeah, they have they have chicks with dicks now. You know they have all kinds of different options. <laughs> well, oh. how, how, much, how much do I have to buy to get a Russian mail-in bride? <laughs> That's what I'm. Well, I don't. For. I don't engage in. I don't engage in human trafficking purposes, but you know, I'm sure yeah. there's options out there. <laughs> well, that's why I designed. Uh, Red actually, which is an adrenal energizer, but most pretty much. I get a lot of women buying it, and then I get a lot of I get a lot of men who make sure that their women keep taking it because uh, it improves that? progesterone levels. It improves. It's got maca, twenty-five to one extract. It's got rhodiola, the Siberian stuff. It's got ashwagandha, and then it has shilajit. So all four of those actually help women with optimizing their hormonal profile yeah, as well as men. Yeah, I'm out of stock right now, but when I get it back in stock, I'll send you some of that as well. But most of the, most women I know who take that, they're like, this stuff's great. You know, my sex drive's amazing. I feel good. My workouts are better. But you and I know that sex drive yeah, has a lot to do with stress levels, cortisol levels. Oh, no doubt. 
And that's how it helps as well, because it helps with excess cortisol levels and improving yeah. your adrenal health. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, the last thing on your mind is sex when you're highly stressed, right? Think of a oh, death yeah. of a loved one or you had, to put, you had to put one of your animals down. You know, the last thing on your mind is sex anytime soon after any of those things. Yeah. But I think that stress, stress management, well, stress by itself or cortisol is the number one problem, especially for our training people. It will... Oh, no up the metabolic rate by, by decreasing T4 to T2 conversion. It will increase, it will reduce insulin sensitivity. Uh, it will, of course, make it much harder to build oh, yeah. muscle. It will decrease sex drive, decrease testosterone, decrease estrogen. So, I mean, cortisol is necessary, don't get me wrong. But the problem is, oh, yeah. right, in, the, in real life, okay, cortisol, when you look at the evolution of man, right, uh, Any time cortisol was increased, it was always because you have to do something physical. I mean, running a after a prey, running away from a tiger. I mean, I'm not an expert in, in like the uh, caveman era, but I'm pretty sure they didn't have any job issues or uh, women problem or stuff like that. So they, <laughs> the only stress was physical, so they needed energy mobilization. The problem in our modern society is that everything, everything is a stressor now. And so everything includes oh, yeah. cortisol. And cortisol's main function is to make energy available to fight those stress again, because when we were cavemen, the only stress we had required physical action. So that's why it right. mobilized energy. Now the problem is yeah, we have a situation Food scarcity where, and stuff like that, yeah. So, so you, you increase cortisol. Cortisol will do what? It will increase blood sugar level. Okay. The problem is now we are in a lifestyle where we are always eating, especially sugar. So you, even if you have high blood sugar level, if cortisol increases, you will increase cortisol level even more. Uh, oh, you yeah. will increase blood sugar level even more. So that will right. make you insulin resistant and will also lead to several high blood pressure issues or anything that can come from high blood sugar level. So really, stress sure. is the one thing that will completely destroy your body. So any tool you can use to manage and lower cortisol will help you live better, longer, perform better, and get better workouts, definitely. Well, I always say stress eradication rather than management is essential. Yeah, there's not, 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 not every stress can be eradicated, so I'm not saying... 100% across the board, but there's a lot of things that are stressful without us realizing it, often on the subconscious level, which can be eradicated. And I think one for a lot of people is addiction to their phone, addiction uh, to social media, addiction to mm. television. You, you can Those things you can eradicate. Do you really need to be on social media all fucking day? Of course not. Do you really need to watch four hours of TV every day? No. Do you need to look at your goddamn phone all day long when you're walking your dogs and everything you're doing? No, you don't have to do any of that stuff. What the fuck is on your phone that's so exciting? When you're out there in nature, you know, I've been to Red Rock and places like that before where people are looking at their phones. I was like, what could possibly be better, more interesting on your phone than right now? Nature, mountains everywhere, you know, blue skies, fresh air. So I think a lot of those things, I think, are more stressful than a lot of the the adrenaline type stresses we deal with, such yes, as building yes. your business, financial stress, personal life stress. You know, those are all things that. You can't always eradicate. You can eradicate a lot there too. Lose your friends, jobs you hate. You can have plans to eradicate those things. You know, surround yourself with good people. But I think it's a lot of the subconscious stresses that we're not even aware. We don't even realize how much stress we're taking in when we waste time 
on social media or watching television or That's looking at our phone all day the, long. The, the problem is that your brain learns to tune these out. It's like background noise. You don't even realize it's there, but it's still having an impact. That's the big problem. Right. But yes, I think social right. media, it's really about the, like, the fear of missing out. It's not that people have something That's interesting a lot to of look at. Feel. They just they are afraid of missing out. Yeah, I don't have that fear. <laughs> I know I'm not missing out on anything on there. I miss. I have the fear of missing out in the real world. I have a different fear. I go, man, I'm on here wasting time. Shit, I could be out there doing something fun right now. It's like, you know, think about it. Think, think about what life really is at the end, right? It's just a lot of memories, moments that counted the most. That's what you're going to look at. Different moments that were meaningful. I guarantee you that none of those moments are going to involve looking at your phone or something on social media. You're not going to be going, oh, man, remember 30 years ago, that one clip on YouTube? It's just not going to be that way. So if life is about creating memorable, special moments, then get out there and create as many of those as possible. The problem, I think, is that a lot of people, especially the younger generation, they don't even know how to create those moments. They have learned to live like on that little machine they have in their hands. And they are missing right. out on all those opportunities because they're not looking for them. Right. Or they're doing it with the purpose of posting on their phone yeah. for other people to Dude, see. How many people like, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the Grand Canyon. Yeah, how many people would, would go to the Grand Canyon or go surfing? Or I mean, A lot of people do these things, obviously, without posting on social media. But it seems like more and more the activities that people do is for the purpose of having something to post about. Yeah, showing they were there. Hey, dude, I think we, we really beat our record. Probably it's an hour and yeah. 45 minutes. Now we're up to two hours. You talk, you, talk so long, you talk so long that we actually have to go oh, now yeah. instead of you have to. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I'm about, to, I'm about to do like the Grammys, man. I'm about to pull out that wrap it up box and start playing the orchestra music. <laughs> usually, the, usually the guest is like, got to go now, guys. Now we're like, well, shit, man, we got to go now. <laughs> Well, great, man. Great talking to you. Awesome information as always, and look forward to connecting again soon. Yeah, and don't try and don't like wait a year for next time. Like maybe like only three or four months this time. Okay. Well, what are you doing next week, man? Let's get you back on. Uh, <laughs> <You're right. laughs> we'll have you come on. We're gonna, we're gonna have you. We're gonna we're gonna have you come on every week. Our our downloads will go way up then. Uh, I will get boring after a few weeks. You'll be waiting for what? For us to hang up on you? I'll send you a message and get your address, and I'll have that stuff sent out for sure. I was really mentioning this, uh, talking about the flashlight, and I'm pretty sure that you're going to actually send one as a joke. <laughs> I would, but I don't want to waste money to buy one. I don't, I, don't want there, I, don't, I don't want there to be a record anywhere that I actually purchased one. So it's, <laughs> and then you got to send it to Canada? Come on, man. It's like you've got to go through customs. <laughs> yeah, Canada has a tendency to open up my packages going over there. The last thing I want is that in there. Oh, man. Right. Well, cool, man. I'll get your address. I'll get that stuff out to you. Thanks a lot. You take care, man. Great talking to you. Thanks for guys. Take, take care. care. All right, folks, we're gonna, we can go ahead and wrap up right there. I'll just end with one funny message. I got an email saying that I got an email from one of the organizations I support, the American Wild Horse Campaign, and it goes, the, te- the, the, the email message is, we're suing BLM. I go, you're suing Black Lives Matter? 
And then, then I open it up, and of course, it's Bureau, Bureau of Land Management. I'm like, okay, that's better. I go, wow, why are you guys doing Black Lives Matter? What does that have to do with like, oh, wow, we've got social justice wars going on now. <laughs> so you guys need to be more clear with that acronym. You know, BLM is open yeah. for a lot of interpretation. <laughs> At least a Bureau LM, so that I mean, we know what you're well, talking hey, about. One thing about I think they did that on purpose, though, because one thing about that, oh, it no will make you did. open up the email just to see, like, oh, yeah, I opened it up. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty slick. Well, cool, man. Use that coupon code, everybody. Use LLA. Go to MikeMahler.com. Get 10% off. All the supplements that I'm going to be sending to Christian, you can go buy on my website, MikeMahler.com. <laughs> get that. And use that coupon code LLA. Like, well, why does he get it for free? He's like, one, he's a friend, he's a guest, and we get high downloads whenever he comes on. Hey, if you qualify for <laughs> any of those three so things, let me know. We'll have you come on the show. Yeah. Exactly. He's, he's if, if you, if you qualify. Time and his expertise. So. Exactly. You can yeah. check mark those three things. We'll have you come on the show. I'll send you some free products. <laughs> All right. <laughs> exactly. Well, other than that, yeah, head to both of our websites. Also, New Warrior Training, use that same coupon code. Also, head over to patreon.com slash LLA podcast. Get these shows ad-free, and we had a discussion, and we're going to be adding some new things just for you guys. So it's not just going to be just ad-free. Oh, yeah. There's going to be some bonus recordings and bonus episodes that you guys are only going to be privy to. So look out for that, and it's going to be well worth whatever tier that you come in on from $5 I'm all actually to $50. Gonna, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to record a few of those this week, so we'll have those to add up. Yeah add to the Patreon site, just quick tips on how to increase testosterone, how to manage your business better, just simple things, just quick to the point tips that honestly, you'll find really useful. And honestly, by the time this episode comes out, they probably would have already received those. So actually, oh, yeah. tell the truth. Yeah. So some of you guys already enjoy the benefits <laughs> of those bonus episodes. <laughs> right. Because, you know, we're, we're, we're in the future right now. That's what we do. So, so yeah, so yeah, like I said, you know, you Patreon people are about to get beefed up with all the benefits of being on Patreon. If you're not a Patreon supporter, now's the time. Well, actually, she should have been one as of yesterday. So get on that. It's never too late. So head over there. LLA, yeah, go to patreon.com slash LLA podcast. Last but not least, make sure that you rate and review us in all of the apps that you use to listen to this podcast. Whether it's now, I, I, they changed the name. I don't think it's iTunes anymore. Now it's Apple Podcasts. And you know, also, you can do it in Stitcher, TuneIn, and all those other great apps as well. So all those things help, but the first two help more. <laughs> there you go. All right, folks. We'll and for those, you that, for those of you that are about to send an email saying, come on, man, you guys talked over Christian too much. First of all, number one, we didn't do that, especially you. We didn't do that I this didn't. episode. Number two. If you're going to send me a message saying that, I just checked my inventory, and I'm out of fucks right now. So just don't waste your time. <laughs> oh, man. My, I, I'm, my, my fucks have been on back order for so long. <laughs> yeah. My, I don't think they're going to be back in stock anytime my, soon. You know? <laughs> I can't find my fucking dealer now. You know, so my fucking supplier. So, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's on back order. So <laughs> you'll get – so I'll put it like this. You'll be able to purchase PowerShop before you can get a fuck out of me, okay? A lot of people are like, PowerShop, what's that? Like, oh, for those of you that remember, you know how long it's been since that's been out there. <laughs> it's been – I think I think my, my go-to was still pure black and white when that product was available, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't have to dye the the gray side of it to black when you know when that product was available. That's how long it's been. <laughs> oh man! 
<laughs> no, we'll catch you on the next one. Take care, everybody. All right. Take care, everyone. Bye.